Welcome. We have been waiting for you. They do not want you to be here. But where others fail, you will succeed. Forget the cell. In this space, time is endless. You are now experiencing the fourth dimension. Are you ready for what lies ahead? Your mind will transcend reality. Your consciousness will be sharpened like a sword. You will lose all connection to the outside world. And nothing will ever be the same again. You have arrived. Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening. <laughs> welcome, welcome. It's good to see you. Welcome to another free-for-all. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a lovely week. I certainly have. I hope you loosened up after that. <clears throat> I actually, because I was getting complaints before about the previous intro being too long. People liked it. But they said, you know what? I really like the esoteric themes that you hit. I like the imagery. I like the way you set up the show. It's kind of dark. It's mysterious. It's fun. But they said, you know what, Boogs? It's a little bit too long. So you know how I roll. I extended it. <laughs> <laughs> Whacked another minute onto that sucker. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Help. Oh, There's a perf perfect reaction. That's exactly what I wanted. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I, I hope you enjoyed it enough to see it repeatedly for the rest of the year. Because that's what's going to happen, unfortunately. So it's one of those things like, you know, it's kind of cool the first time. By the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth time, heaven forfend the tenth or the twelfth time, you are going to be throwing things at the monitor, throwing your phone out the window. You're not going to be a fan. 
Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Who have we got? Stefan Sears, Tracy and AK, Follow Q, The General Eaton, Jennifer Briggs, The Cherry Popper, Sandra, Rob, Poppy Lane, Stuart. Who else have we got? Oh, everyone's in the house. Firebird, Sin Soaked, Franklin. Thanks for joining us, everyone. The Houston Infidel. You don't want to go around advertising that in Houston, do you? But like I said, had a lovely week. I... I hope you've had a lovely week. I certainly have. Look, I'm going to be I'm going to be brutally honest with you here. Brutally honest. Jules, thanks for joining us. Um, it is hot as a motherfucker down here. Like seriously, surface of the sun stuff. Mm. I tell you, Cindy, thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Iowa Trump. Ah, Java unfiltered. Deborah. I just came in a bit late. That's okay. Better late than never. So it is hot as a motherfucker down here. And I've got to be brutally honest with you. I'm half drunk already. Because when it's hot in Australia, what do you do? You naturally tend towards the bar fridge. You naturally tend towards the cold alcoholic beverages. Of which I've had a couple. But because it's so hot, I'm just sweating everything out. It's like you're in a permanent state of recurring dehydration. You get thirsty, you drink, the alcohol makes you dry, it makes you dehydrate, you drink more. So it's terrible stuff. But I'm sure we're going to have fun along the way nonetheless. Hopefully you stick around. Hopefully you can put up with me just a tad told you what to do. Sandra actually wanted me to sit here, um, take more clothes off and put more light on me. You wouldn't enjoy that, Sandra, I'm here to say. Yeah, there's a very good reason I sit in the dark. It's because I know that the majority of the audience is of the female persuasion and I don't want to offend them. (laughs) So I make sure I sit in the dark. That way it's all nice and non-offensive and we don't give anybody nightmares yet. Ah. Ducks Regionist, thanks for joining us over there on Stream.me. So what a week. What a fantastical week. What a fantabulous week of events. First of all, can I do something a little bit controversial? I'm going to break from my comrade. I, I want to get this out of the way first. I want to get the nasty stuff out of the way first and break from my comrade the owner and CEO of TAVshow.com, ladies and gentlemen, James R., who I note hasn't joined us in the chat. If he had joined us, I would say perhaps be a little bit nicer to him. (laughs) But since he's not here... (laughs) When the cat is away, the mice will play. So, talking about the AG nomination, Mr. Barr, Mr. Barr, Mr. Bar. Bar Mitzvah. So, Mr. Bar. James isn't the only one, look, to be honest. There's a lot of people who have this opinion that Bar did really, really well up until the last question of the day when he was asked specifically about the Mueller investigation in relation to, you know, like, would you prosecute, you know, Hillary Clinton and, you know, that kind of thing. And he said um, something along the lines of, well, even if people in politics break the law, 
then I don't think we should go after them. Something like that. And a lot of people got really angry at that. And, you know, I was watching my good friend, my comrade on TV show. And the reason that we can have this discussion via, by proxy is because uh, neither of us are the kind that fly off the handle. Neither of us are the kind that go on like a block rampage when somebody disagrees with us. So I'm sure that he will take my commentary in good graces just as I did his. But the allegation was, well, if this isn't a problem for you, then, you know, you must be an idiot. To which I say, au contraire, my highly intelligent friend. Because may I present some rudimentary logic to the court, if I may. So here's here's the thing. Why would the guy who is getting... just, Just say there is a plan, okay? Just say you're one of the plan people. If you're one of the people who says there's a plan and everything's going according to plan, fine. There's a plan in place. Everything's going according to plan. Don't worry. Trust the plan, all that stuff. If you're one of those people, why would you expect then the prospective AG to sit in front of the world's media, the Congress and all of the Democrats and declare to them that he is going to lock Hillary Clinton in prison? Why would you... Why would you expect that? Why would you expect that? And here's the other thing too. If you are saying now that because potential AG Barr didn't give the correct answer at the end of that hearing that he is now a bad guy, I would say, well, don't bad guys lie. Right? So if he was a bad guy, wouldn't he be lying? And what happened to 4D chess? Like, all of a sudden, we forget about 4D chess. Remember that whole 4D chess thing that everybody's planned, everything's planned, every position is planned for? Donald Trump doesn't make mistakes. Why would he nominate somebody? Why would he make a mistake? Why would he Why would he nominate some? If, if we are to, you know, believe that Donald Trump is more intelligent than everyone else, as we've been told... Oh, look, Donald Trump's a billionaire. He's the president. He's more intelligent than you. You're not a billionaire. What do you know? You don't know. You can't question him. You can't question his intelligence. Okay. What happened to that? (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, it's all wrong. Why is that? So if Barr sits in front of this uh, Senate hearing and says, yes, absolutely. See, here's the thing. He can. He only has to say what they want to hear. See, the other question was from my comrade, why isn't the left-wing media talking about it? Well, allow me to apply a little bit of Occam's razor here because he said what they wanted to hear. Somebody who has been in politics for 40 years arguably knows what the media wants to hear. And it's very, very difficult for the media to attack the guy when he comes out and says, I don't believe in locking Clinton up. How can you? There is no attack point there. He said what he wants to hear. Uh, He said what they want to hear. And to be brutally honest, if I'm in his position, just, just say, just say hypothetically, just say hypothetically that I'm getting nominated for the AG 
and I want to hang Hillary Clinton up by her neck, just hypothetically. I'm not saying I would, but hypothetically, I would say, oh, she's treasonous, she's a traitor, they've all got to go to prison, they've all got to be locked up. Why the hell would I tell you about it? Donald Trump's philosophy, as said by himself, is that I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. So why would you expect his AG nomination to do just that? I find it all very strange. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying people are wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. But I just think, you know, sometimes politics is just politics. And this guy just said what they wanted to hear. They couldn't make a story out of it. And then, you know, for some reason, the story becomes the fact that they couldn't make a story out of it, which I find a little bit confusing. But them's the breaks. Um, are you guys shaving this week? I shaved yesterday. Mm. Let me tell you, I'm going to be stopping in between for random sips. I shaved yesterday and smooth as a baby's ass. Smooth as a newborn's backside. My head, my face. That's utterly fantastic. But then afterwards, once I finished shaving, once I finished the ritual, once I slapped on the aftershave and rejoiced in my clean, fresh-shaven aura, I realized, hang on, I might not be a man anymore. But then I checked. It was okay. I went down. I checked the razor. It wasn't a Gillette. It's not a Gillette. So I'm in the clear. Let me let you in on a little bit of secret men's business. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the absolute hot tip here. This is for the guys. This is absolutely for the guys. And this is for the ladies as well. Here's a little hot tip for you. A little bit of a secret. I actually shave with ladies' razors. <laughs> Ladies' razors, uh, they give you so much, they're so much smoother. They're not as coarse. They don't rip the hair out. They use a different kind of steel for lazy, uh, ladies' razors. So you, you use a ladies' razor on your face, you will be so much better for it. If anybody asks you in the pharmacy or the supermarket, wherever you buy your razors from, just say, oh, I'm buying it for my girlfriend, buying it for my wife, whatever. And the best part is they come in pretty colors. So while Gillette is busy trying to convince men that they should become more like women, I am actually not giving money to Gillette by purchasing razors that are made for women. Checkmate. Fuck you. I win. (laughs) You can't feminize me, Gillette. I'm already buying the razors from your female competitors. Beat that. They do cost more. They do cost more. How did I figure it out, asked Sandra. The way any any man figures it out, I had to shave and there was only one option. So I was like, all right, well, I've got to do it. I've got to do what i got to do. So while Gillette is trying to convince the men of the world that they, that they should, you know, become less manly and continue using Gillette, I put it to you, the best form of boycott would be for the men to go out and buy ladies' razors. And that would bring the cost of the ladies' razors down. Your wives will thank you. They'll give you thank you, sex, for saving them money or something. Probably. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't, haven't heard thank you for a long time. <laughs> uh, just, just, just kidding. Just jokes. Just jokes. So we'll get into a little bit of that. We'll also touch on the shutdown. I want to, as well, 
we're going to start a new tradition here on the show. Uh, last week, again, my friend and cohort, James R., um, sent me the clip of the Australian guy. Remember the Australian guy standing out the front of the shop? Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. So I've got another one of those for you. It's a different kind. It's a different guy. It's a different different setting, but it's a, it's a small slice of Australiana, which I think you'll appreciate. We'll get into that. Um, but primarily, I want this to be the people show because the last two free-for-alls, I haven't gone through all of the articles that people have sent in and I feel really guilty about it. You know, the Christmas one, it was okay. It was Christmas. You know, everybody get over it. But we'll, we'll, we'll go back and we'll revisit some of the Christmas ones that people sent in. And then last week, I didn't get to many either because we went for about five hours and I was so sick of the sound of my own voice that I had to turn the computer off, believe it or not. Ladies raises for everyone. Sandra says, next Christmas, ladies raises for everyone. And if that doesn't work, glow in the dark dildos. I'm telling you, if you ever get secret Santa, glow in the dark dildos cannot fail. You'll never be asked to another secret Santa again, and you'll save more money to buy ladies raises. It's a win-win. So we'll get into all of that stuff. I'm looking forward to it. But before we go far, <clears throat> too far down the rabbit hole, uh, I want to thank everybody who's a supporter on Patreon. I want to thank the subscribers of the podcast. If you'd like to become a subscriber of the podcast, just look for The Daily Boogie at Podbean or iTunes. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. And if you would like to hurl abuse at me, perhaps throw your ladies' razors in my direction and give me a little nick, head over to Twitter at boogie bumper and fun will ensue. Having said that, let's kick it off the way we like to with this. Now you face the Shredder. Carrying on with our theme, here's an interesting story for you. From NorthAmericanNews.com.au, IT firm hired to create fake Twitter account to portray ex-Trump lawyer as a sex symbol. Yes. <laughs> Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, the ladies' man, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. Oh, oh, baby. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That man can depose me anytime he wants. Mm. I said, can I get a hung jury in the house? Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, reportedly hired a man to create a Twitter account which portrayed him as a sex symbol. <laughs> <laughs> as well as rigging online polls to sway towards the president. I like how they throw that in as the afterthought. That should be a that should be a general that should be an indicator as to where journalism has slipped to. The rigging of online polls to sway towards the president was after he hired a man to create a Twitter account which betrayed him as a sex symbol. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities, people. Mr. Cohen has confirmed uh, a Wall Street Journal report that in early 2015 he paid ahead of a small technology firm, Red Finch Solutions, to write a computer script that would place multiple votes for Trump in an online poll of news broadcaster CNBC. My mind harks back to the Huffington Post, ladies and gentlemen, and 90% 
of polls agree that Hillary Clinton would be the next president. Little did they know, maybe if only if only somebody had been hired to make Hillary Clinton into a sex symbol. Who knows the amount of, you know, privileged white uneducated males in the United States who would have voted for her in the hope of being subjected to a number of crippling sanctions in the bedroom. They repeated the effort in an online poll of website Judge Report, which is popular with conservatives. They have to actually say it's popular with conservatives. Isn't it like the third biggest website in the fucking world? <laughs> it was in the Drudge Report, which is popular to conservatives. We, we, we write this because we understand that none of our readers know this fact. Mr. Cohen also reportedly paid John Gouger, the Gouger, to create a Twitter account, Women for Cohen. <laughs> in May 2016. But he has not confirmed this claim. The account, which was reportedly run by a female friend of Mr. Gouger, was used to promote Mr. Cohen's looks and character. Interesting. As well as his public appearances and statements. The page sports the bio, quote, Women who love and support Michael Cohen, strong pit bull, sex symbol, no nonsense, business orientated, and ready to make a difference. There he is, the pit bull. The pit bull, Michael Cohen. It had posted more than 780 times before going silent in December 2016. No wonder at Real Donald Trump chose Michael Cohen 212 as his right-hand man. He's charming, intelligent, and handsome, one tweet read. (laughs) There he is. There's the charming and intelligent and handsome Michael Cohen. Another reads, look at that smile. Thankful for you and all your hard work. Never doubt a respected, educated man fighting for freedom and honesty, read another. What a guy. You are seriously a hero, Michael Cohen. And another, love seeing selfies of our number one, Michael Cohen. You look so handsome, MAGA. Hashtag MAGA. The funniest part for me out of all of this, like the, the thing that I take the most out of this story is... This is the prize. This is Robert Mueller's guy. This is the guy who is going to bring down the Trump administration. This is the guy of virtue true, of unmistakable character and quality, who also just happened to pay somebody to make a fake Twitter account to promote him as a sex symbol. (laughs) This is the guy. This is the guy you're going to put on the stand. This is the guy that you're going to bring down Donald Trump with. See, here's the difference. Donald Trump actually slept with Playboy Playmates. <laughs> See, if if they actually, if here's the funny part, if what they say about Donald Trump's sexual exploits are true, then he's more of a ladies' man than Michael Cohen is. Even though Michael Cohen had a fake Twitter account, and Michael Cohen is the witness who's going to bring down Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump didn't need a fake Twitter account to turn him into a sex symbol. He already was. (laughs) Donald Trump had Playboy Playmates lining up around the block, apparently. Ah, they let you grab them. You can do whatever. They let you do whatever you want. Michael Cohen had to have a fake Twitter account. (laughs) But he's the guy who's going to bring Donald Trump down. It's utterly fantastic, don't you think? Whoops. Whoops. Whoopsie daisy. 
All right, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about what happened today and the dueling letters, but let's preface this conversation. Let's preface this conversation. Actually, let's do it this way. Let me show you this. Because we live in a time and a space where we have very, very, very short memories. So let me show you this. This was uh, Morning Joe, one of my favourites. Imagine pinning all your hopes on these douchebags, says Jennifer Briggs. (laughs) Yeah, we got Trump now. We got him now. (laughs) This was Morning Joe after Nancy Pelosi, like, you know, stood up to Donald Trump. He showed Donald Trump. He showed, she showed him. She showed him by pulling, you know, pulling the invitation to make the State of the Union address. Yeah, she got him. So what I want to do here is just present, um, you know, two contrasting approaches to a very similar story. So this was MSNBC when they found out that Nancy Pelosi had trumped Trump, apparently, with the State of the Union announcement. Check this out. All right, let's change the topic. You see what Speaker Pelosi did yesterday, Mika? Yes, so we're still in a government shutdown. It's at a historic length in time now. People are really hurting. People are hurting. Um, And there's no one in sight. So House Speaker Nancy Pelosi (coughs) called on the president uh, to reschedule his State of the Union address Uh, over security concerns. Yes. Pelosi made the request yesterday. Just under two weeks before the president delivers the speech on January 29th. She also suggested the president could deliver the speech in writing. The speaker says the shutdown has put strains on both the Secret Service and the Department of Homeland Security, raising questions over the security planning that goes into this annual address. Interesting. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen refuted Pelosi's claim, tweeting that her department and the Secret Service are fully... Did you hear the little laugh there when she said... Homeland Security spokesman Kirsten Nielsen refuted the claim. ...prepared to support and secure the State of the Union. A spokesman for the House Speaker says that she was motivated to make the request after her office had been contacted by a furloughed DHS employee. Isn't that nice? Just one furloughed DHS employee, apparently, and one unnamed employee from the DHS was enough, apparently, allegedly to make Nancy Pelosi go out and create this, like, remarkable situation where the Speaker of the House doesn't want the President to deliver a State of the Union address. Highly abnormal behaviour. Apparently, it was just one furloughed DHS employee. Maybe he sent an email through. It's like, hey, Nance, just checking in. By the way, um, do you reckon it would be cool if you um, asked Donald Trump to reschedule the State of the Union, because you know what? It kind of sucks out here, not getting a paycheck for the last couple of weeks. Are we cool, bro? Are you down? Apparently that was enough. And Nancy Pelosi took to the streets, metaphorically. And she, you know, she put her foot down. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you, Mr. President? Mr. President! Yep. Just one guy, apparently. Just just one anonymous source. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that employee apparently expressed serious concerns serious that the concerns. department has insufficient staffing levels yep. to sufficiently manage the security needs for the... Ad- sufficient staffing levels to sufficiently manage... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it wasn't like the head of the department. It wasn't like the spokesman for the department. It wasn't, you know, anybody 
in charge of the DHS. It was apparently just an employee. Like, this person might have been doing data entry for all we know, if they exist, if they exist at all. They could have been making coffee. Who knows? You know, Nancy, I'm, I'm seriously worried about the security. Just letting you know, the security might be pretty bad because of the shutdown and stuff. You know, the shutdown? You heard about the shutdown? You see, because Bob's going to be off and Joe's not going to be in and Cheryl's not going to be here. So I'm just wondering, like, if somebody comes in to shoot the president, like, who's going to be there to stop it kind of thing? So, you know, I'm just, I've, I've got some serious concern, serious concerns, like really serious. Got some serious concerns about the shutdown and stuff. So I just, I just want to ask, is it okay? Like, maybe you can ask Don to, like, put it back a little bit. Is that cool? Okay. Thanks, Nance. Thank you. Address due to furloughs of critical staff. Ah. Pelosi was asked further about the motivation the behind boy her the request golf club, yesterday by MSNBC's Garrett Hake. Do you hope he sees this Ducks Regionist wants me to get banned so he can have friends on stream me. Why doesn't anybody join Ducks, uh, Ducks Regionist on stream.me? I pr- thank you for going to stream.me, Ducks Regionist. You are a champion. You're a hero. The only one. A shining light, my friend. As a consequence of the government shutdown? No, I just, I just, this is a housekeeping matter in the Congress of the United States. It's housekeeping. It's housekeeping. So she's admitting that it's a janitor. Nice. Invitation we extended to the president. You can make it from the Oval Office if you want. Oh, okay. Housekeeping matter. You know, uh, Eugene Scott, I she was wondering him. if she this shutdown him. continues and the president maybe even uses that platform as a, a way to sort of try and, and brand the shutdown his oh. way, if that's even possible at this point. <laughs> we wouldn't want to give the president a platform to brand the shutdown his way, if that's even possible right now. Yes, of course, because... 800,000 workers come well before murdered, 4,000 murdered citizens, 100,000 victims of violent crime. This is, this is more important. 800,000 people missing a paycheck for a couple of weeks. See, this is the thing we've been talking about in the podcast over the last week and a bit. The, the, the narrative war here, they're trying to elevate their victims. They can't attack Donald Trump's victims directly. Donald Trump's victims are, you know, like the people I described, like the, the angel families, these kinds. It's heart-wrenching stuff. So they know if they were to come out and directly attack these people in the press publicly, uh, they would be lambasted, and rightly so. So rather than, you know, try to attack Donald Trump's victims, they need to create their own victim class. And the victim class that they've decided to run with in this two-horse race, is the 800,000 government workers. Yeah, good luck to them. Good luck to them. Oh, the, oh, the, you know, the, the, the such heartache, such heartache for these government workers. Such heartache. They're starving to death in the streets. Donald Trump has cruelly and callously held these innocent government workers to ransom. He's holding them hostage. He's got a gun to their head, right? But let's carry on. But uh, let's talk about the facts. Uh, Nancy Pelosi does have the right to 
Yep. Uh, not allow the president to does. deliver the State of the Union in the halls of Congress, correct? She has a right. She does. It is a formality. The invitation is extended, and this is uh, part of the procedure that goes into hearing the State of the Union address. It's not as if the State of the Union address has never been uh, uh, postponed. I mean, we know in 1986, after <laughs> 1986. the incident, uh, It's not like this doesn't happen all the time. I mean, back in 1986, which is practically yesterday... A similar thing happened. <laughs> you see, if the roles were reversed, and it was the first time since 1986 that a president had stopped a congresswoman from flying on a military plane, they would say, this hasn't happened since 1986. I thought we'd progress beyond this. This guy is breaking all the fucking rules. 32 years this hasn't happened for. This guy's rolling back our norms. You know what I mean? But because it's like, oh, it's not like it hasn't happened before. Back in 1986, same shit was going on. You know, 1986, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Believe it or not. So there you go. It's it's a normal thing. She did the right thing. She's brave. It's not like it hasn't happened before. Just to back up this point, let me show you this. Pelosi asks Trump to postpone State of the Union. Yes. Just asking him. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is formally asking President Trump, see the use of the word here, formally asking President Trump to delay his State of the Union address scheduled for January 29 or to submit his thoughts in writing instead. You see, because because she's formally asking, it's very polite, it's very normal, it happens all the time. Submit your thoughts in writing instead. That's a massive middle finger to the President. It's like, you know, do you, do you know what that is? That's the equivalent of, um, wow, Johnny, I'm really proud of the project you did in school. Why don't we just put this straight up on the fridge? That's what that is. In a letter sent Wednesday morning to the White House, Pelosi cited potential security concerns, not actual security concerns. So do you see the delicious irony here? She's citing security concerns. That's why the president can't give a State of the Union in the House of Congress, in the government building, in the capital of the United States of America, because she's concerned about security. Meanwhile, on the border, ah, it's a manufactured crisis. doesn't exist. It's not real. There's no security concern on the border. Don't be ridiculous. Forget about the security concerns on the border. Think about the 800,000 workers that you've got a gun to their head. You're holding them hostage because of your sick obsession over this wall. By the way, while there's a shutdown, can't do the State of the Union. Sorry, Prez, because of security concerns. Yes. Now now we care about security. (laughs) Given that federal agencies are stretched thin, apparently not at the border, though, right? Oh, what about all uh, those poor federal agencies, ladies and gentlemen? Those poor federal agencies, but not down at the border. Down at the border, it's fine. Not a problem. It's a manufactured crisis. We need to abolish ICE because they are terrorizing too many people. They're terrorizing too many people because it's a manufactured crisis and there aren't too many people to terrorize. I was talking about this with a friend earlier. And, you know, he's a pretty reasonable guy and he said they're just incoherent at this point. I'm like, yeah, we need to let in all of the refugees who are fleeing over the border because it's a manufactured crisis and it's not really happening. You know, I was reading a tweet earlier today. Somebody said, how can the wall be immoral if um, it doesn't work? 
if the wall doesn't work, how can it be immoral? <laughs> it's completely incoherent now. This is Nancy Pelosi. Sadly, given the security concerns and unless government reopens this week, I suggest that we work together to determine another suitable date after government has reopened for this address or for you to consider delivering your State of the Union address in writing to the Congress on January 29. Sadly, I like that. Just putting sadly in there. Because I'd really love you to do the State of the Union. Uh, Me, Nancy Pelosi, I would love Donald Trump to come in there, give a big speech about border security. But unfortunately, sadly, uh, you know, because security concerns, because we care about security this week, uh, I'm afraid we can't do that. Here's another one. Pelosi asked Trump to reschedule SOTU because of shutdown. So she's asking him to reschedule. She's not threatening. She's not saying he can't do it. She's politely, formally asking him, could you please reschedule it? I'm, a, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm on your side here, but there are security concerns. Now, look at the juxtaposition here in the reporting today with Donald Trump's letter that you can't go and take a little trip overseas. Donald Trump escalates row with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> he escalates a row. Pelosi asked Trump to reschedule State of the Union because of shutdown. Donald Trump escalates row with Nancy Pelosi from CNN. Here's another one. Trump hits back at Nancy Pelosi, threatening her trip to see the troops. She just wants to see the troops. She's a good girl. She loves the men and women fighting overseas. He's threatening her trip. He's hitting back. You see the difference in language here? She is the delicate, wilting flower who has, you know, she has genuine concerns about security and she is politely and formally asking the president to please consider rescheduling your State of the Union address. Even though in that clip that we just watched, she was like, he can give it from the wide, he can give it from the Oval Office. What's the difference, right? Being all grump and shrill. He can give it from the Oval Office. But then, you know, you flip it around the other way, all of a sudden, Donald Trump's escalating a row. I didn't even know there was a row. I thought she was just politely asking, where did this row come from? Trump hits back. What do you mean hits back? I didn't know he was getting hit. I thought I thought she was being, I thought she was politely asking. All of a sudden now it's a row and Donald Trump's hitting back. I thought we'd check back in with MSNBC to get their latest take on the matter with Katie Turr. Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, basically disinvited Donald Trump from giving the State of the Union in front of the House of Representatives, yep. asking him to delay it or write yep. a letter instead because of the government shutdown. Mm. Uh, today, the White House and the president has responded um, and they've issued their own letter. This oh, one to Nancy Pelosi. They've issued their own letter. Aren't we proud of them? How, how wonderful that they've issued their own letter. Oh, bravo. I'll read it to you. Dear Madam Speaker, due to the shutdown, I am sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule the seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers... I've just got to say, I love the uh, use of the word in this letter, excursion, because excursion just sounds like little kids getting on a bus. You know what I mean? It's like a field trip. We will reschedule this seven this seven day excursion, not your seven day excursion. That's another one too. So, <coughs> pardon me. 
You could say, we will reschedule your seven-day trip. That sounds very adult. That's very respectful. But if you write it this way, which was obviously intentional, we will reschedule this. So it's not your excursion. It's this excursion. Like you're kind of throwing your, your hands up in the air like, eh, what excursion? This excursion? This excursion over here? Who cares about this excursion, right? We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. <laughs> but what is she going to say? What about the security concerns now, Nancy? Nancy, where are your security concerns now? Oh, you can't do this. This, this isn't right. This is this is uncalled for. He's not receiving pay. <laughs> I am sure you would agree that postponing the this public the relations round and event round. is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. <laughs> Obviously... Joining the strong border security movement. <laughs> and, and each one is in capital, like strong border security, the SBS. Now we'll start calling it the SBS. You should be here with the strong border security movement. <laughs> he's, he's branding in the letter. It's incredible. If you would like to make your journey by flying commercial. That- Again, look at the headline here on this clip. President Donald Trump continues to meet his match with Nancy Pelosi. Morning, Joe. All of a sudden, Donald Trump postpones Nancy Pelosi's foreign trip until foreign showdown uh, shutdown ends, and Trump hits back at Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon, you, and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous SBSM. southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. Sincerely, Donald Trump. Beautiful. So a tit for tat. It looks like interesting because I don't I don't remember seeing that Nancy Pelosi was traveling to any of these places. Um, are you familiar with the term hot take? This is one of the hottest takes that have ever been taken. I wonder, and somebody uh, will know this better than I will, uh, if the president has just outed a secret trip, a classified trip that Nancy Pelosi was going to be making <laughs> to. <laughs> Maybe Donald Trump's revealing classified information now. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you think the Russians know? Do you think Donald Trump told the fucking Russians, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, I'm not sure about this, and... Maybe somebody else can tell me, someone else who knows, but is it possible that Donald Trump just revealed classified information? <gasps> oh, 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 no. Oh, no. I fucking guarantee it. Tomorrow tomorrow it'll be like headline CNN, New York Times, Washington Post. Donald Trump may be in trouble for revealing classified information about Nancy Pelosi's trip. <laughs> Robert Mueller is interested in Donald Trump's no Robert Mueller is wanting to ask Donald Trump questions about revealing classified information about Nancy Pelosi. I'm telling you it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's kick over to CNN, one of my favorites. She's a darling. Erin Burnett scorches Trump. Un- scorches Donald <laughs> She's scorching Donald Trump's 
unpresidential letter. Let's go, Aaron. Show us what you got. President Trump strikes back, lashing strikes out back, at his lashing nemesis, out. the House Speaker Nancy. See, see the see the the tone here, the speaking tone, the language. Donald Trump strikes back, lashing out at his nemesis. Yeah, because he's a vengeful character. He's reactionary. He's aggressive. He's not rational. He's over emotional. He slams his fists on the desk, kind of guy, right? Constantly memeing, ever, ever memeing, forever memeing, unsuccessfully. President Trump strikes back, lashing out at his nemesis, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, after she threatened to postpone his State of the Union address. Pelosi's bus was idling outside her office. Literally, there it is. Idling outside, waiting for the Speaker to come out because she was heading straight to Andrews Air Force Base to board a military plane Uh, heading to Afghanistan. She was, but she ain't now. And she gets this letter. And the only way to show you how childish this letter is, (laughs) how unpresidential it is, is to read it to you. So I want to read it. See, to be fair, this is something I do all the time. So Erin is going to do a reading, like a live reading, and she's going to add her own accenting onto various sentences. She's going to put in her own, you know, her own dramatic take on the presidential letter. To be fair, this is something I do all the time. Like, for example, like this. Trump hits back at Nancy Pelosi, threatening her trip to see the troops. So you know what you're in for, right? So I can't, I can't get angry at her for that. But I, I, I am just inspired. I'm inspired to, to do something here. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Now we're talking. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up. Dear Speaker, due to the shutdown, I am sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay, I am sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining a strong border security movement and the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon. And even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately receives. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. And by the way, like all my bags are packed, baby. You know, he capitalizes things like strong border, um, shutdown. The best was their luggage outside the office. Her trip postponed, those are his words, hours before takeoff. Postponed, just like Pelosi threatened to do to the president's State of the Union. That's what this is about, retaliation. Retaliation. Excursion. A trip by the House Speaker in line for the presidency after Pence to a war zone is not an excursion. That it's demeans not an excursion. the men and women who are serving oh, and dying yes, there. Yes, it demeans the. Yes, Pelosi's it does. Yeah. Donald Trump hates the troops to too. Was to meet with U.S. troops and to quote obtain critical national security and intelligence briefings yeah. from those in the front lines. Yeah. Now hold that thought for just a moment, because the next words to highlight from the letter are. I'm sure. I'm sure Nancy Pelosi is getting critical intelligence briefings from the front line. Nancy Pelosi. Can you imagine Nancy Pelosi sitting down? She thinks, ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Pelosi getting serious intelligence briefings from the front line. Nancy Pelosi thinks because somebody sent her a letter allegedly from the DHS that it's too unsafe to have a State of the Union address in Congress in the capital of the United States of America. 
Nancy Pelosi says what's happening down at the border is a manufactured crisis and there is no crisis. Despite that, we need to take care of all of the refugees who are flooding across the border in record numbers because there's no actual crisis. Nancy Pelosi says a wall is immoral, but it won't do anything. If the wall is immoral and it doesn't do anything, how can it be immoral, Nancy? Nancy. Nancy, where are you, Nancy? I know where you are. I know where you are. I know where you want to be. I'll bring your wedding ring. So kiss me and smile. Kiss me, Nancy. Tell me that you'll wait for me. Hold me like you'll never let me go. I hate to go. So you're not going. There you go. Simple fix. Babe, I hate to go. So you're not going. Job done. Fixed. Here's one for you. Uh, Who here has heard of Cardi B? She's no John Denver. I'll give her that. Um, I'd never heard of her. Today was the first I've heard of her. Have you guys heard of Cardi B? Cardi B slams Donald Trump over government shutdown and border wall. So I thought to myself, well, who is who will who is this prophetic temptress of a land over the deep blue? Who is this truth teller? Who is this person that speaks truth to power? Cardi B. Surely I need to know more about this alluring vixen. Surely I need to do be- do my best to understand, tap into the brain of this modern-day Aristotle. I mean, she's obviously someone that everybody should be listening to. I mean, she's in Newsweek, right? She's in Newsweek. So this is obviously someone we should be listening to. So I thought, okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll go in with a clean slate. I have because I, I don't even know who she is. I don't even know who she is at this point. So I thought, okay, let's let's see what Cardi B has to say, y'all. Oh, hang on, let me go back. It's been a little bit over three. Let's see what Cardi B has to say. Because it's been a little bit over three weeks. Okay, it's been a little bit over three weeks. Yep. Trump. Is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work summoning. without getting paid. Yeah. Now, I don't want to hear y'all about, oh, but Obama shut down the government for 17 days. Yeah, for health care. So your grandma <laughs> could check her blood pressure and you pressure. You gynecologist with no problem. Motherfucking now, problem. I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't work for the government or y'all probably don't even have a job. Okay. In a profanity-laced tirade, rapper and video actress. Ooh, that cuts deep. Video actress. If she was an actress, they would just say actress, wouldn't they? <laughs> Why do you have to qualify it with video actress? That's like the difference between star and porn star. You know, porn stars aren't stars. They're porn stars. Video actresses aren't actresses. They're video actresses. <laughs> Straight to video. Cardi B blew up at President Donald Trump, slamming him for his stubborn desire to build a wall separating the United States and Mexico. Modern-day Aristotle. Trump's wall is at the centre of a controversial, historic 26-day government shutdown, ladies and gentlemen. 
Trump's campaign refrain, I love that writing, and subsequent blaming of Democrats in Congress for not agreeing to pay for the $5.7 billion wall remains at the core of his presidential goals. Whether or not his theoretical security crisis at the southern border exists, theocritical, uh, theoretical security crisis. It's a security crisis at the border. There's no, there's no crisis at the border, but we need to let in all of the refugees who are streaming across the border because there's no crisis. She's so lit, says somebody in the chat. Follow you. Seemingly referring to people who voted for Trump and attended his feverish rallies pre-election and during his tenure so far, Cardi B posted on Instagram Live, calling out Trump for lying about something he couldn't accomplish. You promised these effing racist rednecks that you was gonna build the wall. But you know that was impossible, Cardi B told her fans, as The Hill reported on Wednesday. But they voted for you and you promised them this shit, so now you have to do it. I like that she's calling Donald Trump a liar when one look at... Let's see him again. Let's see him again, Cardi. Like, take note, take note of the makeup there. But did you see the claws on this thing? There you go. She's like, Donald Trump's a liar. And then the first thing I noticed was the fake fingernails. And the first, the, the next thing I thought was like, who, who, mother of God, who wants to wear fake fingernails that are four inches long? It's like, Donald Trump, you lie. Everything you say is a lie. It's like I'll be I'll be right back after I put on my prosthetic face and my fake fingernails. Oh, okay, okay, the bastion of truth. Uh, in true MSNBC fashion, ladies and gentlemen, they found a former senator to say that Cardi B was a hundred percent right. Do we want to hear the end of Cardi B first? Let's let's hear her out. Let's be fair. Let's be fair to Cardi. For seventeen days, yeah. For healthcare, so your grandma could check her blood pressure, and you pressure. Pressure. Problem. Now, I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't work for the government, or y'all probably don't even have a job. But this serious, bro. This crazy. Like I, I. Like I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to be offensive here. I'm from another country, so it's not. It's probably not offensive for me to say this. I am genuinely appreciative that they put subtitles up because I wouldn't fucking understand a word she's saying. <laughs> Hey, y'all, shit, crazy, motherfucker. Now, oh, for f- and we really need to take this serious. We, I feel like we need to take some action. I don't know what type of action, because this is not what I do. But- <laughs> I feel like we need to take some action. I don't know what kind of action, because, bitch, that's not what I do, but, bitch, I'm scared. Somebody take some action. I'm not going to be taking action. I'm not going to be taking any action over here. If there's action to be taken, I shall not be taking it. I am far too busy entertaining the youngsters, getting my prosthetic nails implanted, and doing posts on Instagram. So somebody somebody needs to take some action up in this motherfucker. Somebody needs to take some action because, bitch, I'm scared. I'm scared, bitch. Gotta take some action. I'm not going to take some action because I don't take action. Interesting. Interestingly, I thought because I'd never heard of Cardi B, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe she's really talented or something. So I thought I'd check out a bit of Cardi B's work. Here's a bit of Cardi B for you. This song's called Money, by the way. 
I got something in the coop busting out the roof. I don't, I don't even know. I'm not sure what she's saying. Um, but I'm glad, you know, because like, having taken in her body of work, she's scared about the shutdown. Something needs to be done. Somebody needs to take action. I love that in that song. She's talking about, I love money. Give me the money. Just give me the motherfucking money. I ride in those D's. Got pearls around my neck and stuff. A lot of sexual references. (laughs) Yeah, because it's been a little bit over three weeks. Okay? It's been a little bit over three weeks. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work without getting paid. Now, I don't want to hear y'all about, oh, but Obama shut down the government for 17 days. Yeah, for health care. So your grandma could check her blood pressure and you in the gynecologist with no problems. Now, I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't work for the government or y'all probably don't even have a job, but this serious, bro. This crazy like our, our country is in a hellhole right now our country is in a hellhole right now ladies and gentlemen what what are you saying i thought everything was sweet country is in a shithole right now a hellhole why? Look at all this money. I need a jet. Shit. I need food for my legs. I got a baby. I need some money. <laughs> Should I just leave that up there for a second? Hang on. Let me let me get back to this. I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hope Breastfeeding like Nice let me go Get that money Cause I'm leaving on a jet plane Don't know when I'll be back So much nicer, isn't it? There you go. Cardi B. I need teeth for my egg. All y'all bitches in trouble. Grim brass knuckles to scuffle. I heard that Cardi went pop. Yeah, I did go pop. Pop. That's me busting that bubble. I'm the signing with the drip. Baby mommy with the clip. Walk out bodies with a bitch. Bring a thotty to the whip. And she find her, she think. Goddamn. Fucking past the mirror. Woo. Yeah, it's classy stuff. Classy stuff from Cardi B. <laughs> so, uh, MSNBC, of course, found a former senator to say she's 100% right. 
Donald Trump taking away Speaker Pelosi's airplane. Trump telling her he's postponing her trip on this military jet scheduled for Brussels and Afghanistan because of the shutdown. Oh, people and didn't see. Adds, people, she, I, you didn't see? She was breastfeeding in the, in the thing. She had a little baby up. Little baby in the film clip. See? See, she's holding a little bub. It's so empowering, I think. I think it's so empowering to talk about how you're riding that D, um, you know, popping popping things and uh, getting pearl necklaces and I just care about money and having that baby. I, I, you know what? I just fucking, I love feminism, man. I love feminism. And, <clears throat> you know, if I was going to go someone, go to someone for some kind of opinion in regards to politics and political philosophy and moralism, it would absolutely be this person. Yeah, because it's been a little bit over three weeks, okay? It's been a little bit over three weeks. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers Summoncing. to go back to work without getting paid. Now, I don't want to hear y'all about, oh, but Obama shut down the government for 17 days. Yeah, for health care. So your grandma could check her blood pressure and you in the gynecologist with no problem. Now, I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't work for the government or y'all probably don't even have a job, but this serious, bro. This crazy. Like, our, our country is in a hellhole right now. Oh, for And we really need to take this serious. Take it serious. I feel like we need to take some action. I don't know what type of action because this is not what I do, but this is not what I'm I do. scared. This is crazy. And I really feel bad for these people that got to go to work to not get I really feel bad for these people that got to go to motherfucking work and not get motherfucking paid. Thank you. Thank you, Cardi. Much appreciated. So, yeah, we found a senator who agrees with Cardi. He could fly commercial if she wants. Of, of course, it's a former senator. <laughs> or maybe not, into a war zone. This, of course, is a response is serious, to Pelosi, bro. who said she would reschedule his State of the Union. Now, today, all of this pettiness back and forth, more shade at the man accused of often stiffing his own employees. Stiffing. I'm not denying what Pfeiffer Merle was saying. Let's get a date when government is open. Let's pay the employees. Maybe he thinks it's okay not to pay people who do work. I don't. And uh, my caucus doesn't either. Trump recently tells aides, though, that, quote, we're getting crushed on this shutdown. The polls show some of that. Trump's overall approval rating is now down seven points in the past month. Ooh. Even worse with his base. Ooh. Ten points down among Republicans. Wow. Seven among white men without college degrees. Down 18 <laughs> points among suburban men. White men without college degrees. <laughs> See, the funny part about this is that I, I, I don't know what they think. Like, I, I absorb as much media as possible. And that means, unfortunately, like filtering a lot of the MSNBCs, New York Times, the Washington Post, because even though a lot of it is easily picked apart, there is still some kind, sometimes there's like nuggets in there, nuggets of wisdom that you can extract. And other times you just read it for your own amusement. Two weeks ago, I was reading a fucking poll where they said Donald Trump's uh, support for the wall has actually increased 10 points over the last month. This was the New York Times. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden, suburban men. What the fuck is suburban men? <laughs> suburban men minus 18. <laughs> suburban men. Rural men, on the other hand. 
why they're too busy, you know, shooting things and cowboying to take our polls. So we just focus on the suburban men. The suburban men. The Gillette men. And down another 24 points Ooh. among white women without college degrees. Gallup notes Donald Trump is now the first president in history, history. to never reach any majority approval, not for a single day oh, wow. during his first two years in office. With me- well, I like they say that like it means something. Donald Trump is the first president to never reach majority approval, never in his first two years. He's also the first president who won despite you saying that he had a 98% chance of losing. 98%. <laughs> now all of a sudden it's like, he's not even popular. It's like, well, apparently two years ago he only had fucking 2% popularity anyway. So what's the difference? There's no crisis at the border. We need to protect the refugees streaming across the border. Because everything about the border is a manufactured crisis and it's not really happening. Now, former U.S. Senator Robert Torricelli, he served during five government go. shutdowns, including 1996, which had been the longest. That's a Trump record, as well as the whole unpopularity thing. Fordham University professor Christina Greer joins me as well. Uh, what do you think of what I think you have to admit, even though I know that you are supportive of, of some of what Speaker Pelosi does? What do you think mm. of this increasingly petty part of the spat? Petty. It- is it petty, though? I yes, mean, it's petty. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a place is trying to make the argument that, you know, we've got... Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever heard the term leading question? <laughs> like, you watch those court shows, they're like, leading the witness. It's like, what do you think about this petty situation? And she goes, is it petty? And the host, like, apparently she's there to give her opinion. The post says, yes, it's petty. It's petty. (laughs) Do you want to hear it again? (laughs) What do you think about this petty situation? Well, is it petty, though? Yes, it's petty. Shut up. Stick to the script. Stick to the script or you'll be out on your ass dancing in the background of a Cardi B video. Of of some of what Speaker Pelosi does. What do you think of this increasingly petty part of the spat? Is it petty, though? I yes, mean, it's petty. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think Nancy Pelosi is trying to make the argument that, you know, we've got 800,000 federal employees to say nothing of the hundreds of thousands of uh, other Americans who are out of work because of the hundreds, shutdown. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands. And this president needs to read the Constitution in which it says that he must, you know, present to the American public his agenda. But she's saying, uh, you know, for either national security reasons or the fact that we are in the yes, middle of a shutdown. Yes, we're going with petty, Jennifer Briggs. Petty. wrap this up. Talk to Mitch McConnell, since Mitch McConnell could end the shutdown if he wanted to. Um, or he could hold votes. Yeah, he could do his job. How about that? Right? S- he could Senator- do the thing that we're paying him to do. And so I don't think it's actually petty. Um, I think it's part of a, a much more larger conversation Nancy Pelosi's trying to force the president to You're have. supposed to say it's petty, um, Get his money for his wallet when he had two years of unified government. Senator, uh, when you served in the Senate, there would be votes from time to time on these sort of matters yes. to reopen the government. What I don't understand about this is um, um. why no one's coming up with creative ideas. <laughs> now, I've seen the kind of intractable problems we had with Reagan. <laughs> Do we want to get into creative ideas? How about building a wall on the fucking southern border? How's that for a creative idea? You know the thing that the thing that troubles me the most is why nobody's coming up with creative ideas. Ideally what we want is everybody 
bitching at each other, scratching each other's asses and slapping each other on the back until infinitum. I, I don't know why nobody's come up with some kind of idea to put an end to this. So Can't somebody come up with some kind of idea to put a stop to this already? I mean, come on! <laughs> Again, the Democrats are literally saying, reopen the government so we can continue talking about it. That's, that's their solution. This is their solution. This is what they want. This is their deal. Reopen the government and we will talk. talk we will talk about it. We will continue to talk about it. I know you have an idea for the border. Just when you thought it was safe to come up with an idea. Coming this summer, more debate. With Social Security funding, we had it with interranged nuclear weapons. We had it with the budget problems with Gingrich, which led to the previous. Gingrich. But everyone is just taking their positions, and it appears to me they're hardening their positions. Yeah, it's getting getting harsher. And since it's never going to come from Trump, I am kind of surprised that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck are not throwing out their more creative (laughs) solutions. (laughs) Jennifer Briggs is on fire tonight. He looks like the picture of creativity. They get past us. And yet. Leadership's not going to come from the White House. And the pressure on Trump, though, does appear to be having an impact. It's widespread as the shutdown goes on. The strong border security Uh, movement. You represented (laughs) New Jersey. I want to play uh, someone who represents the Bronx. The Bronx. Uh, Cardi B weighing in. Cardi B is weighing in. Take a look. Trump is now ordering, as in summonsing, federal government workers to go back to work without getting paid. Our country is in a hellhole right now. Oh, whoa, f- whoa, whoa. And we really need to take this serious. We, I feel like we MSNBC. need to some action. Hey, MSNBC. Is she right? Is she right? Hey, you missed the whole middle, but you missed the best part. Look at this. They missed, they, they chop. I haven't, I don't pre-watch the clips. Like I watch like, if it's a clip like this, I'll watch like the first 20 seconds and I go, yeah, that'll do. We'll get something out of that. If it's an article, I read like the first paragraph or two because I want to read it with you. I want to experience it re- with you. That's why when you hear me laugh, it's like a genuine laugh. Like I'm not pretending because I'm reading it going, oh, what the fuck is this? Look at this cut. You know? <laughs> so, like, what are you asking him? Is she right for? You, you cut out the best bit. Let's watch again. Hang in on this Trump shutdown. Take a look. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work without getting paid. Our country is in a hellhole right now. Oh, f- wall. Okay. They missed out the best part. They missed out the whole middle part. Lucky for us, ladies and gentlemen, I've got the whole clip right here. I just want to remind you because it's been a little bit over three weeks. Let's do okay? it again. It's been Let's a watch it again. Three weeks. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work. Like, does this, does this illustrate the 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 intense, vapid, soulless commitment to deception that corporate media has. They will even edit together, ladies and gentlemen, they will even edit clips of people being critical of Trump to suit themselves. They will even clip people who are critical of Trump to suit their show. Believe it or not. A little bit over three weeks. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work 
without getting paid. It's now, a 50 second clip. You can play the whole thing. Oh, but Obama shut down the government. Of course, if you play the whole thing, it might put her in a bad light. You can't do that. So your grandma could check her blood pressure and you. Because you'd have no all of these beeps and the motherfuckers. Now, I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't want to play all of these motherfuckers on MSNBC, can we? Because that might not help, this will it? crazy. Like, our, our country is in a hellhole right now. All for f- And we really need to take this serious. <laughs> I feel like we need to take some action. I don't know what type of action. <laughs> this is not what I do. And who is Cardi B? Just in case you asked, here's Cardi B. I don't really need a day any dog. All a bad bitch need is a I got pants in the coop. Bussin' at the roof. I got pants in the coop. Touch me, I'll shoot back. There you go. That's, that's who Cardi B is. Is she right though? That's the question that that's the question on everybody's lips. Is she right, Senator? Is she right? Let's go. We really need to take this serious. We I feel like we need to take some action. Is she right? Well, of course, I was going to say the exact same thing. Uh, the same way. <laughs> same way. Um, she is right that I think uh, most Americans sitting back right now saying this isn't just a problem over an issue. It's a problem of the governance of the, of the country. Uh, one thing that Warrior I think Donald yep. Trump is going to understand. Somebody why needs to take action, but that's is, not what I most do. Most Americans don't look to those three branches of government. She has when the government's not in functioning, roof. there is a president. And the president is <laughs> responsible for making the government function. They don't look at it as you and I might uh, with these co-equal branches. Right. And, yeah. and that goes to Mitch McConnell, which you raised earlier. Putting aside what one thinks about, I'll cancel your speech. I'll cancel your plane. Okay, we're in the cancel wars. Uh, the cancel uh, wars. Here we go. Uh, one of the the star new members of Congress, uh, Congresswoman AOC, as she's often called, is out there leading Stop. the charge. Also the Bronx. Here we go. It's the Bronx night. Also leading the charge, though, and saying, look. What the fuck is going on in the Bronx? I feel like if the Yankees had only won more World Series, then we wouldn't be subjected to these people coming out of the Bronx making political statements. I feel like when the Yankees are winning, then everybody, you know, from the Bronx just worries about the Yankees. <laughs> when, the, when the Yankees aren't winning World Series, all of a sudden everyone wants to talk fucking politics. That's just, I don't know. I could be way off. This isn't just Donald Trump again. This is a Senator Mitch McConnell. The Democrats arguing he's MIA. Let's take a look at that for your analysis. Here we go. We're here doing our jobs. We have voted repeatedly over and over again to reopen the government. He's not in the cloakroom. He's not in the Capitol. He's not in the Russell Building. He's not in the floor of the Senate. And 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. So where's Mitch? She does outrage well. She does outrage well. She's very talented. She might be completely clueless when it comes to politics, but she's very talented at the sound grab, the sound bite. She knows how to get played on the news. She knows how to get retweets. And that what's, that's what makes her dangerous, ladies and gentlemen, as we enter into this new era of politics where it's going to be less about what you know and more about who you know and who follows you and who retweets you kind of thing, unfortunately. But Cardi B was right. Cardi B was right. Uh, this was Adam Schiff's response to not leaving on a jet plane. Come on, uh, Schiff. A few uh, comments on behalf of our delegation about the president's actions uh, in attempting to cancel a congressional delegation to visit our service members. Someone in the chat said, <clears throat> yeah, so did Obama. This is, a, this is the thing. I tend to think it's a popularity contest, and then the people behind the leader will just do, then they can run 
wild, then they can do whatever they want. Arguably, a lot of people in the Republic uh, in the Republican Party saw the same opportunity with Donald Trump. Now, I would suggest perhaps many of those people would be disappointed now because it seems like he's very much a hands-on kind of guy, not the kind of guy that you can distract with pointless, um, you know, endeavors that go nowhere that don't do anything. I think he was a guy who came in with his own ideas and perhaps a lot of people in the Republican Party in the establishment, even though they fought against him initially, maybe they thought, well, you know, he, he might win the popularity contest and we'll just install him and then we can do whatever we want around him. And then, you know, three or four um, revolutions of layoffs in cabinet positions later, uh, they're slowly waking up to the fact that he doesn't roll that way. And if you don't perform, if you don't provide, if you don't give, you're 110%. If you don't achieve the outcomes that you are slated to achieve when you are put in a position in the first place, then your ass is out of there. Whoops, whoops, whoops. See, it's a great tragedy of politics that in Western countries, it's not America, it's not Canada, it's not Australia, it's not the UK, it's not Germany, it's not France, it's not Espanol. It's all of them. You know, in in some respects, I'm going to be brutally honest with you here, in some respects, the communists were right about classes. But what they didn't expect was that the class that they were trying to install permanently would become the class of the elite. They thought if if we just created a permanent political class, then there would be no bourgeoisie. And the brutal reality is that the permanent political class is the bourgeoisie. The Adam Schiff's, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Reince Priebus's, the Lindsey Graham's, all of them. On all sides, at all times. The Paul Ryans, ladies and gentlemen. The permanent political class. As um, a very wise person once said to me, he said, Boogie, these are the people who view the world through the bulletproof windows of their chauffeur-driven limousines. And he was 100% right. That's how they see you. You are mere ants. You are playthings. You are an inconvenience at best and a minor disturbance at worst. Being chauffeured around, viewing the world through the bulletproof glass of their limousine. How does it end? I don't know if it ends. Perhaps there's always going to be like an elite class, a political class. Perhaps there has to be. Perhaps there has to be. Perhaps we are too unruly and uncouth and uncivilized to rule ourselves. But one thing's for certain... From an outsider's view, looking in, this was never the intention of the American experiment. 
and I hate to speak in terms of shoulds and should nots, but it was never meant to be this way. And ladies and gentlemen, a group of people far more intelligent than the average person today hundreds of years ago got together and constructed from the ground up, from the bottom up, from point one, a document and a system written in the average language of the time that when you read it, you know, even with an only, a, a, only a rudimentary understanding of English at the time when it was written, is plainly clear that it cannot be perverted and it cannot be subverted and it cannot be abused. And yet, as those men are well into their graves... And time has passed them by. Here we are. With an elected bourgeoisie. And an unelected superior class telling you on a daily basis. Exactly how to live your life. Holding a knife to the throat of freedom. And begging you to slash. With that, guys, we'll take a short break. We'll be back in five. See you soon. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to listen to our Mac Files broadcast every Monday through Friday night from 9.30 to 10.30 right here on Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook Live. We always have a wide variety of guests that talk about faith, make America great again, the nation, President Trump. We deal with a lot of law enforcement issues, a lot of immigration issues, and issues that are very relevant to the time that we live in. Friday nights, 1130, the one and only James R. joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows late night that you'll ever have. And then Sunday nights, we have Pastor Ronnie Mitchell join us at 8.30 p.m. for our Sunday night faith chat. And be there. We're looking for you. Join us each week. Aloha, James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes, alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TAVshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. TAVshow.com Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Stream Me, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, 
or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3am Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Now that is a freaking awesome I think a lot of it is he's free where they're not. If you are on the side of the politically correct, then you are, it's like you're constrained by the weapon that you're trying to hit somebody else with. Does that make sense? Like you can't, you can't profess the virtues of political correctness and overt sensitivity and not offending people and then come out and do it because you'll be a traitor to your own cause. So if you don't sign up to that politically correct mindset, if you don't fall into the I must not offend crowd, then you're really free. And they're not because they can't attack, they can only attack you by saying how offensive you are. And if it's particularly unpopular at the time to be, you know, uh, politically correct, then guess what? Every single time that you use the only weapon that you can, which is political correctness, you get less popular and the person that you're attacking gets more popular just by the fact that you're attacking them. Because if you're saying that these people are so politically correct, like they, they can't say whatever they want, every time you try to attack the guy, you prove his point. You, you make him stronger. It's like trying to fire nukes into the sun and think you're going to blow it up. It doesn't work that way. You're just adding to the combustion. It's not going to stop. It's not, it's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. The way these people approach it, they, they just don't get it. He, he's not going to just suddenly snap out of it. He's not going to start being what you want him to be. It's only going to get faster and harder. But they, they don't see that. They don't understand. So, that, I mean, because that's the bubble. That's the privileged bubble of going straight from college into a, you know, into the media and living in that environment and all of your colleagues agree with you. Coming in hot. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Welcome to the Daily Boogie.
remember the old theme music? <laughs> it's over now. We're back. Thanks for sticking around. If you did, if you didn't, so long, sucker. Hope you enjoyed the time that you were here. Someone sent this to me just before we move on. Someone sent this to me. uh, Live footage of Nancy Pelosi after finding out Trump grounded her flight. Rapist? Get me out of here! Get me out of here! Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, what do we got? How about this? Aphrodisiac crisps are now a thing, and they have a provocative effect on the body. Crisp lovers rejoice. For my American brothers and sisters, crisps are what the British people call chips, which is what you call crisps. <laughs> <laughs> we call them chips. Tyrrells are releasing a very special type of savory snack just in time for Valentine's Day. Yes. You see this? See, if you're eating potato chips on the lounge with your loved one, it never looks like this. It never looks like this. See how clean the lounge is? Do you see? There are, where are the crumbs? And she's holding a bowl and they're smiling and he's feeding her. It never works out like that. The way it works is if you're eating potato chips on the lounge, you both have big bellies and you sit, you're laying down. You're not sitting. You're laying down and you have a bag each, like a bag of Doritos or a bag of salt and vinegar, and you're just like shoveling them in. It's, it's, never, like a, it's never a prelude to lovemaking, put it that way. You never have potato chips before lovemaking. That, that's never happened ever in history. Maybe Pringles, because once you pop, you can't stop. Sometimes you just can't beat a good packet of crisps when you're feeling peckish. Am I right? From salt and vinegar to cheese and onion and smoky bacon, crisps are a quick and guaranteed way to curb your cravings. They are also full of uh, potato starch, which is more damaging to your teeth than basically like holding a whole mouthful of Coca-Cola in your mouth for like 10 years. So if you just had, if you just constantly drank Coca-Cola and washed Coca-Cola around in your mouth, it would be like one tenth as damaging to your teeth that potato starch is. That's a fun fact for you. Crisps are actually what rots your teeth, not so much Coca-Cola. Even though Coca-Cola is really bad, potato starch is like 10 times worse. And I fucking love potato chips. I eat them regularly. <laughs> of course. Your, your body's your temple. But while they may taste great, they're not exactly the sexiest of foods, are they? Sam, thanks for listening. Especially if you're planning on serving up a treat for a special date night. Why would you serve up potato chips on a date? Like, surely you can do a little bit better. How about a filet mignon? Right? How about a nice quiche, for example? Honey, you really, honey, I mean, you light the candles, you pour the red wine, maybe a glass of moe, depending on which base you're planning to get to at the end. Honey, you're in for a special surprise. 
I bought for you the horny chips, aphrodisiac flavoured. <laughs> Don't you think you're signalling your intentions a little too strong, lads? When you break out a bag of Tyrrell's aphrodisiac, <clears throat> let her know she's a special one by shoving potato chips down her throat <laughs> in the hope that it will get you laid. Tyrrells have announced they are launching the first ever packet of crisps containing aphrodisiac properties. Ah, I see. The crisp brand claim their new aphrodisiac variety will get pulses racing on Valentine's Day by combining two simple ingredients, sweet honey and the fiery spice of chilli. Chilli is good for, you know, I'm somebody who loves chilli. I cook with chilli. I grow my own chilli. But word to the wise... Don't cook your significant other a meal with chili and then go to second base without washing your hands, okay? That's a little hot tip for you there, pun intended. Um, you know, you think you would be rounding second and then heading home, but let me tell you guys, <laughs> if you don't wash those hands, if you don't wash those mitts after preparing your lady friend a chilly meal before you get to second base, you ain't going to be getting home. There will be screaming and blood blood curdling screams for the rest of the night. And you will be the biggest arsehole who's ever walked the face of the earth. General Eaton says, yes, starches make citic acid which binds to vitamin D, then it doesn't get absorbed into the body. There you go. If you think these are just what you need to set the mood for Valentine's Day, then you'll have to move fast as the crisps will only be available for a limited amount of time. I like that. If you think these are just what you need to set the mood for Valentine's Day, I would say aim higher than a bag of crisps. (laughs) See, instead of if you think these are just what you need to set the mood for Valentine's Day, then you'll have to move fast because the chips are only available for a short amount of time. I would say... If you think these are just what you need to set the mood for Valentine's Day, you don't have a girlfriend. (laughs) You're not getting laid on Valentine's Day. If you think that you can provide a bag of crisps (laughs) that get into your significant other's pantaloons, then you're going to be very much mistaken, comrade. No, 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 nobody ever got to the Sacred Valley with a bag of chips, mate. Tyrrells will be selling aphrodisiac crisps from mid-January in selected independent retailers. Very selected, highly selected, I'm sure. Sarah Lawson, marketing manager for Tyrrells, said, At Tyrrells, we're always looking for ways to introduce new and different additions that bring our unique and often quirky personality to life. Our unique and personality, uh, quirky personality to life. Companies now have personalities, ladies and gentlemen. That, that scares me more than just about anything. The prospect of World War Three scares me less than companies, than spokesmen speaking on behalf of their company and saying their company or their corporation has a personality. That's fucking horrifying. No, 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 no. Your corporation does not have a personality, comrade. You might have a personality. The people who work at the corporations might have personalities, but the the you know the objective term in personality is person. <laughs> Tyrrell's aphrodisiac chips is not a person. 
Our new honey and chilli variety has an extra special place in our hearts as it is the first crisp with aphrodisiac pros, uh, properties that has ever been created. There you go. She Well, she certainly looks up for it, doesn't she? To be honest, I've been married for quite some time. I might have to go out and get me a bag of these bad boys. See what all the fuss is about. Okay, speaking of aphrodisiacs, let's do this one. I know, I know everyone else has done it, but I haven't actually seen this ad yet, so I'm going to watch this ad with you. I purposely didn't watch the ad. I saw a little bit of the commentary around the ad, but I haven't actually physically watched the ad yet, believe it or not. I tell no lie. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? The first thing I notice is that guy kind of looks like a young Dennis Hopper. Doesn't he? Remember Dennis Hopper? (laughs) Masculinity. Is this the best? Can't you just see that guy saying, pop quiz, hot shot. From Speed, remember Speed? Masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? can't hide from it. Sexual harassment is taking over. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? <laughs> what I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally. Boys will changed. be boys or their grills. Did they seriously put that young Turks chick in there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there will be wow. no going back. Because we, we believe in... I love that. I love that. Like, look at this. Where is she? This is not a political advertisement. <laughs> Anna. This is not a political ad. This advertisement has no political motivations whatsoever. Now yeah, he's Anna Kasparian. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool, not cool. Some already. <laughs> Bro, not cool, not cool. Sees a pretty girl walk down the street, goes to talk to her. No, man. Thankfully, thankfully, the black man stepped in and put an end to this white supremacy here. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. The right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. And small. But some is not enough. So how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. The last scene there is actually factually incorrect. I'm sorry if you're a ginger at home. Uh, he says the boys of today will be the men of tomorrow. No, unfortunately, the gingers are going extinct. Uh, So the ginger boys of today will not be the men of tomorrow. The men of tomorrow will be another hybrid colour of some kind. 
either brunette or blonde, but definitely not redhead. Uh, the redhead gene is going down the toilet. Sad as I am to say. So here's an interesting article. This is from this is from the most lefty paper in Sydney called the Sydney Morning Herald. Gillette's not the best a man can get. And I was reading this before I watched that ad. And then it struck me, wow, what if this isn't what if this commercial isn't feminist enough? What if this commercial isn't isn't hitting on enough talking points? Surely somebody like that wouldn't be writing in, you know, the second biggest paper in Sydney. Well, guess again. When I first watched the new Gillette ad described as breathtaking and shared by many of my friends, its marketing department could have timed my reaction to the second. My curiosity at the mother holding her cyber-bullied son, my nods during the media montage of pervasive sexist culture, and the optimism welling in the corner of my eye as successive men started to fight toxic masculinity. The Gillette logo at the end snapped me back to reality. With my cynical feminist heart firmly in place, I wondered why this ad had made me uncomfortable. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, the ad makes her uncomfortable because this is too much. No, no, guess again. The ad made her uncomfortable because it's not good enough. (laughs) Gillette's marketing team have done a stellar job producing all the feelings with its rising, hopeful music and deep voiceover declaring... We believe the best in men. There's even a subtle call out of Gillette's own history of masculine culture. What the fuck is masculine culture? When the young boys tear through the retro ad in which a pretty girl kisses a freshly shaven man. Oh, horrifying. 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 We can't have pretty girls kissing freshly shaven men. My God, this is practically rape. This is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) masculine culture is when a pretty girl kisses a freshly shaven man okay well i'll put my hand up as a freshly shaven man i am here to kiss ladies if you wish to (laughs) trust me my cheeks have never been more kissable i've been freshly shaven The viral video clips give us a sense that Gillette wants to support the game changers because they represent the best a man can get. But how deep does Gillette's call out of toxic masculinity run? The author asks, Gillette's marketing team has a long history of using women in misogynistic ways to sell their products. In 1915, yes, we're going back 104 fucking years for this reference, ladies and gentlemen, to a shaving commercial. (laughs) Believe it or not. (laughs) Believe it or not. (laughs) You know, in 1915, people were dying of fucking mustard gas as well. You're aware of that, right? In 1915, it was World War fucking one. But you went back to 1915 to find a a razor commercial that you think is misogynistic? What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Jesus, come on, man. Get a grip. Really? I mean, seriously, 1915, all of mankind was butchering each other in trench warfare. You're going back to 1915 to find a razor commercial and say that it's misogynistic. You have some serious, deep-seated psychological problems, darling. 
1915, Gillette realised it could double its profits by getting women to shave. But to do that, it would have to convince women that underarm hair was uh, disgraceful. And an easy sell it was, comrade. An easy sell it was. Thanks to this piece of marketing genius, we now have a hair removal industry worth billions of dollars based on our unsightly hair. Can anybody say Janu Harry? Remember last week's show, Janu Harry. Add to this its pink tax, gender-based price discrimination, under which Gillette regularly charges its female customers more for what is essentially the same product. I disagree. If you go back to the start of the show, I'll tell you that the women's razors are far superior to the men's razors. Gillette's sexism goes deeper than sleek ads and pink shaving products. Gillette is owned by Procter & Gamble, which also makes skin whitening and lightening creams mass-marketed in Asia and the Middle East. These racist products celebrate whiteness, tell dark women they are not okay the way they were born, and perpetuate ridiculous and homogenous beauty standards. See, the thing they don't explain there is... The, the, the skin lightening and the skin whitening creams are actually very highly successful in Asia in the Middle East. <laughs> the products aren't racist if billions of people are fucking buying them, you moron. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I guess I guess 1.2 billion women in Asia in the Middle East are just internalising the white supremacy that they're being subjected to by proxy thanks to Gillette and their skin whitening activism. <laughs> Perhaps the most uncomfortable thing about Gillette's new approach to masculinity is that it never seemed to care before now. Yes, of course not. Decades of white ribbon activism, domestic violence at national crisis levels and harrowing statistics of rape and assault have done nothing to prompt Gillette or parent company P&G into action. And why should it? Why should it? Why should people being raped be a problem for a company that sells razors to men? Can anybody explain that to me? Do you see this shaming by proxy that goes on here? This like secondhand shaming. Because you see, this is this is the uncomfortable reality for companies like Gillette. Gillette think if they jump on board the outrage bandwagon, if they jump on board the social justice band, uh, bandwagon, that they'll be celebrated, that they'll be welcomed that they will, they will be heralded as, you know, movers and shakers for the movement moving into the future. But that's just not true. If you jump on board the social justice bandwagon, all of the people already on the social justice bandwagon are going to say, well, what fucking took you so long? Why didn't you do it back in 1915 when everybody was dying of mustard gas? You misogynist. Well, you know what? You haven't gone far enough. You haven't gone far enough. You didn't do enough. You could have been doing so much over the last 100 years. You know what? You're still a pig. You're still a masculinist. You're still a bastard. So So at this point, you're better off just saying, oh, okay, I guess I'm not on that team. They'll never accept me anyway, so what's the difference? Right? Now that Me Too has gone viral... And toxic masculinity is publicly unacceptable. Oh, is it now? I, I guess except in, you know, movies, sports, politics, right? It's prepared to hop on the bandwagon with nothing but a shareable video. It just feels like it's capitalizing on our discrimination and pain. There you go. Woo! 
Gillette is trying to make money off the pain and discrimination of feminists. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a hot take. A hot take. The hottest of hot takes. Absolutely unbelievable. All right. I want to show you this um, to get back into our Australiana. So last week we played the video of the Aussie hero who chased uh, the guy who crashed into the shop. You remember him? Oh, mate, mate, look at the shop, mate. It's beyond a mess. Oh, mate, I was just wearing me jocks, mate. Remember the guy from Queensland? So this is a guy, this is like our version of cops that you're about to see here. Um, this video is called Waiting for a Mate. So this is an Aussie guy in a car park where the cops approach him and, you know, ask him what he's doing there and ask him questions about his car and stuff. So here's another Aussie hero. This 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 guy is world famous now. G'day. So I think you'll appreciate this. Check this out. What happened, mate? What happened, mate? What's going on? I'm just waiting for a mate. Just is that why your mate. car's all smashed up and you're up on the grass at the moment or what? <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. waiting for a mate. He's gone in, in there. Why? I'm just wondering how, how, how the collision with your car happened, mate. What collision? What well, collision? The one that's got your, all your wheels and stuff twisted up. Your... <laughs> Look at his car. <laughs> and he's just sitting there all casual, like with his arm on the window, you know. There you go, mate. No, I'm just waiting for a mate. My mate's in there. He's inside. I'm just wondering how your car got all smashed up. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing here? I'm just waiting for a mate. If if you say waiting for a mate in Australia, it means you're drunk now, apparently. Yeah, I'm just waiting for a mate. <laughs> what, how'd your car get all smashed up? What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> what, your, your front bumper bar's hanging off, mate. Well, I'm just waiting for a mate, as I said. Who's your mate? <laughs> hey? Who's your mate? James. Yeah? Isn't it? James who? Huh? How'd you get down here? <laughs> How'd you get down here? How'd you get down here? Does it matter? It kind of does, mate, because you've just does been involved matter? in an accident. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. Have I? Yeah. What kind of accident? No, I haven't. What kind of accident? One with a curb, mate, and your whole car's what? smashed up. One with a curb. Can I see your licence, please? No. No? No. No? <laughs> Been drinking tonight? No. Well, I can no. smell it on you. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm not driving. I'm not driving. Fine, He's mate. in the car. seat. been involved in an accident. I believe you were, you were an occupant of the car. Oh, I haven't even... All right, so what I'll get you to do, because it's because of the fact you don't want to show me your license, get you stand out of the car for me, please. Senior Constable Ash Bowden has found a young man in a damaged car. It's run onto a garden in a car park, but the driver reckons it's nothing out of the ordinary. Just I'll be out of the car now. Just wait for a minute. Out of the car now. Yeah, or get your license out. Make a decision. <laughs> well, I don't have a license. <laughs> I'm sitting here because I'm waiting for a mate. <laughs> and I don't understand why there's six people standing around me. Because we're working, mate, and you've had a car crash. No, I haven't. No, You're I drunk. Haven't. No, I haven't. Am I? Am I? Yeah, you are, mate. <laughs> I can smell it all over you. So I'll be out of the car. I'm not, no, easy. Come on. Easy, you go. You don't want to tell me who you are or produce a licence, mate. You can come over this way to the police car. The motorist continues to deny any association with alcohol, oh, but the evidence is everywhere. 
Over this way, mate. No, don't, the don't, push me around. don't push me around. Come he goes way, to the cop. Like I said to the police car. <laughs> I have nothing on me, as I said before. Oh, come up this way. I want you to stand in front of the police car for me. Don't go push me around. Just stand there, mate. The I'm not argumentative with you. I'm not being argumentative right. with you. I'm just asking you to do it. I have nothing on me. Right. Who okay. owns the car? I don't know. But well, what's your name? Let's start with that. James. What's your last name, James? A suspected drunk driver has been lying to senior constable Ash Bowden, but finally comes clean. What's your last name? My name's... Look at your car, mate. You've had an accident. It's no, blatantly obvious. I've pulled it back because there was, like, 20 people around there before. So you drove the car no, backwards, did you? walking. Focus on me, Clint. You're under arrest, mate. Turn around. What for? Because I'm not happy with who you are. Put your hands behind your back. Now sit down here in the back of the police car where you can have a think. I told you who I was. And I'll start working out who you are. Do you hold a Victorian driver's licence? No, I don't. I was it probably 12 months ago. For what? Drink driving. Drink driving. Okay, so you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be driving at the moment? I'll be over in the other seat very shortly. He lost his license. The driver continues to protest his innocence. I fucking love him. But once he's settled down, Ash removes the handcuffs and conducts a breath test. I'll do this for you. Just kind of, yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Just one long breath. You two, I say stop. Yep. Okay. I trust you. Yeah. Shit job being a copper, I reckon. Stop. The guy's like, I'll do this for you. You get that one? Yeah, it's working. All right, Clint. Still doesn't mean I'm driving. In my opinion, due to the fact that I can obviously smell alcohol on you, yes. you've been driving the vehicle and you've been involved I have not in the collision. Driven the vehicle. Okay, I now request you to accompany me to a police station for the purpose of a breath I have test. I've not driven the vehicle. Now listen, you got to listen to me, okay? It's very important. All right. Now request you to accompany me to a police station for an evidential breath test. Okay where you must remain there until you're given a certificate of analysis mm-hmm. or up to three hours, whichever's quicker. Like I'll a... do that. Yeah, you happy not to do that? All right. All right. I have not driven the vehicle. As we rolled up a collision scene with this vehicle, <laughs> a fair few witnesses were already watching him. We've spoken to those witnesses and they've uh, re- reconfirmed as of the fact that it was him driving and we are happy with that. He now he's obviously flown into no. the breath testing instrument and uh, we're taking him back for a further breath test at the uh, station. If only it was that simple. What are you not the young man is still not finished. Just look at me and just concentrate on me, mate. It's I'm quite, not sure that you're it's quite a, serious. a federal officer of the law. I'm not a federal <laughs> officer. He's now pulling, he's now doing the reversal on these guys. He's now saying, hang on, how do I know that you're actual real life cops? How do I know that you're really police? Like, show me some fucking ID. Why don't you tell me who you are, motherfucker? <laughs> I'm just waiting for a mate. I'll, I'll move on then. I'm a Victorian police officer, mate. Oh, well, that's he's, okay. he's like, that's not good enough. He's, <laughs> he's like, if you can't prove to me that you're a policeman, I'll move on. Like, I'll get on with my day, this bloke. <laughs> no, let's not go around in circles. Are you not a federal officer of the law? Let's not go around in circles. Are you a federal officer of the law? Do you want to come Are back? You? No, I asked you Clinton. Clinton, I asked you a question. shut up and listen to me. It's no. quite serious. No. Now, well, I've answered your question. I've asked you Do a you question. want to come back to the police station? Not really, no. Because Ash knows who the driver is, he's no longer under arrest and may refuse to go back to the station. If you want to go, 
By your own free will? That would be fantastic. Well, you're driving whilst disqualified, mate. I have driven anyway. Well, that's something we can work out at court. I haven't gone anywhere. I need you to make a definitive decision. Definitive. Don't go. Can Don't you go, define mate. that? <laughs> definitive. Yeah. What is make... Definitive. Can you define that? I see this guy. I love him. I'd buy him a beer for sure. Definitive. Can you define that? Definitive. Yeah. What is make it one simple decision, mate, and be clear what about it and stick with do, it. Then? No, it's about what you want to do. Let's go. You happy to go now? I'll go. You're not going to change your mind? Do you want me to go there Don't go, don't go, mate. Don't go. I'll go. Don't go. The driver's official breath test result back at the station comes as no surprise to Ash. He blew .181, which is four times over the legal (laughs) limit. He was also disqualified from driving, so he's going to receive a summons for the drink driving, driving whilst disqualified, where he'll have to go and explain himself to the magistrate. It just goes to show that not only does alcohol affect your ability to drive, but it also affects your ability to tell the truth. Oh, I hate those little lines that they throw in at the end there. Hate them. Good on you, Clinton. Sticking it to the man. <laughs> White feminism's failings handed Megan Kelly a $69 million payout after she was fired for racism. By celebrating the success of white women like Kelly without criticism of her views on race, we, as white feminists, are complicit in the racial oppression that sustains our privilege. Can anybody see the uh, the ironic nature of that subheading? I'll read it again. By celebrating the success of white women like Kelly without criticism of her views on race... We, as white feminists, are complicit in the racial oppression that sustains our privilege. Interesting, isn't it? All white feminists have privilege. Yep. We're against racism, but we love making racial arguments. Kelly was allowed to get where she was because the idea of her as a feminist was more enticing to us than the truth about her views. This represents white feminism at its worst. White feminism. White feminism. Remember when feminists just cared about, you know, shit to do with women? Now now there's different categories and subcategories of feminism. Now there's white feminism and black feminism. It gets worse. Ignoring the experience of those less privileged than us in order to further our own standing. After all, it's hard enough to constantly question gender norms, let alone also fight a, a racial oppression or push for LGBTQ plus rights or representation of those differently abled. Why are feminists now getting involved in the disabled movement? Can anybody answer that? I thought feminists were only concerned about things that are feminine. Not, you know, racial oppression or LGBTQ rights or disabled rights. What happened to just feminism? What happened to being pro-woman? No, you can't be pro-woman now. If you are a white feminist, you can't be pro-woman. If you're a white feminist, you need to be pro 
everything else. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that isn't that isn't that just curious? Isn't that the darndest thing? What the hell did I just say? Do, do you want to hear it again? I'll read it again. <laughs> Pardon me. Kelly was allowed to get where she was because the idea of her as a feminist was more enticing to us than the truth about her views. This represents white feminism at its worst. Ignoring the experience of those less privileged than us in order to further our own standing. After all, it's hard enough to constantly question gender norms, let alone also fight racial oppression or push for LGBTQ plus rights or representation of those differently abled. Jules says, I just want a simple life, dang it. Uh, now, now, this is the second time, second time I've been inspired. On the fly, baby. Here you go, just for Jules. This one's for you. I don't believe in fretting and grieving. Why mess around with strife? I never was cut out to step and strut out. Give me the simple life. Some find it pleasant dining on pheasants. Those things roll off my knife. Just serve me tomatoes and mashed potatoes. Give me the simple life. A cottage small is all I'm after. Not one that's spacious and wide. A house that rings with joy and laughter. And the ones you love inside. Some like the high road. I like the low road. Free from the care and strife. Sounds corny and seedy. But yes, indeedy. Give me the simple life. There you go. For those who want a simple life, there it is. I never Until we are able to acknowledge the Kelly affair as a direct consequence of the pitfalls of white feminism, we will be unable to dismantle the, the structural racism that permeates our society. By celebrating the success of white women like Kelly without criticism of her views on race, her views on, her views on race... By celebrating the success of white women like Kelly without criticism of her views on race. <laughs> it's just like, it's like inter-sentence irony. I can't even keep up. Like, it, it used to be from one sentence to the next sentence would be ironic. Now it's within one sentence. We are progressing at lightning speed, ladies and gentlemen. We, as white feminists, are complicit in the racial oppression that sustains our privilege. There you go. White feminists are privileged. They've got nothing to complain about. Stop bitching, white feminists. You've got it easy. Didn't you know? White feminism's failings handed Megan Kelly a $69 million payout after she was fired for racism. There you go. What I want to show you now is... Something that's very, very interesting. Um, I haven't listened to this show for a while. A show called The Hagman Report. I know some of you guys probably listen to it. Some of you probably don't. Um, 
they have a wide spectrum of guests, a divergent spectrum of guests, you might say. Um, if you're genuinely intellectually humble, then you'll not, you, you'll just absorb and you won't react. You won't jump to conclusions. If you're not that way, then you will react and you will jump to conclusions. But, you know, call that a trigger warning. But so I tuned in the other night and I was interested, I think it was last night and well, the night before, I'm not sure. And I was interested to hear this guy. So I'm going to play this little 20 minute bit um, about the mainstream media mass psychological phenomenon in society which I found, you know, thoroughly interesting somewhat, you know, I I recognize some of it. But again, I don't I don't go into these things thinking that I have to agree with it or disagree with it. I just kind of absorb it and then, you know, I use it add it to the filtering process. So I think you'll enjoy this if you are that way inclined. We'll be pausing throughout and making little comments along the way. Thanks for sticking with us, by the way. I know, I know it's getting late. <laughs> so thanks for sticking around. But this might be a little bit of a red pill for some people, but we'll see, we'll see how far we get. And then after this, we'll get to cleaning up your Twitter contributions. Hello, everybody. See what you think this of this. Chris on. I let, me, take- let me turn that off. See what you think of this. Just give it a listen. See what you think. I'll listen to it with you. Let's see how we go. But um, the, inter- the, the internet, just in the last year and two years, has completely morphed. It has completely become a different uh, collective consciousness, if you will. Now, by that, I mean that um, once upon a time, let's say three years ago or four years ago on the Internet, you could type in what I would call authentic, real, genuine, alternative media, uh, you know, which sometimes... General, it's really fucking hot here, mate. Really fucking hot. It's called alternative right. I don't like that. I don't think it's accurate. But you could find authentic, legitimate, credible alternative media uh, on the Internet. Um, you, you would simply type in any particular topic that you would be interested in, let's say like climate change, and it would direct you to a whole bunch of websites or blog sites or maybe YouTubes of people that you and I know and and many of your uh, listeners know. Um, and, and, and it would go directly to those websites because, and that would include Hagman and Hagman, by the way. It would- oh, see, straight away, we've got to address the comment in the chat. Can I, Canada. Canadian West says, I feel bad for peeps that didn't grow up without the internet. Oh, yeah, I agree. I When I first read that, I thought, what? You feel bad for people that didn't grow up <laughs> without the internet? But then I realized, oh, right, of course. Yeah, if you're born in the um, internet world, it's a completely different world. I think, like, post 9-11, everything changed. The world changed. The world changed. It wasn't just an American thing. It was a Western world thing. I'm doing my best to stay hydrated. Thank you very much for your concern, Kimmy. It, it was a Western world thing. Every, everything after 9-11 changed. It was like the, it was like the innocence of our, of our world was stripped away. 
and you know, I'm not saying that as like some kind of uh, disparaging comment. I'm not trying to make that, <clears throat> you know, like some superior comment. Obviously, in other parts of the world, brutality, um, civil war, genocide, these things are the norm, right? You're born into it. But we lived, you know, behind, you know, pardon the pun, behind our, you know, our walls of capitalism, liberty, individual freedoms. And, you know, nobody could touch us. Nobody could get to us. Like we, we were the, we were the top of the mountain. We were the kings of the mountain, right? And what happened after 9-11, even, it was even experienced down here in Australia because we are your comrades. We are your brothers in arms in a lot of ways. Like we're your little brother kind of thing. And, you know, everybody's perspective changed. Or was it a false flag? Well, that's a different discussion. Like, I'm not saying it's real or a false flag, but what I'm saying, the event itself, whether it is real or whether it's a false flag or whether it was planned or whether it wasn't, it's completely irrelevant to the effect that it had on the populace, you see? So we can we can have, like, an intellectual discussion about, you know, who did it, who didn't do it, was there a conspiracy, was there not? But that's that, I think, is beside the point now, you know, 18 years on. The real uh, livable effect day to day for every single person in the Western world is um, our trajectory fundamentally shifted from that point, like in a sliding doors moment, right? You know, it was, it was, it was the deputant getting beaten on the night of the ball, coming home bloody and bruised. It was the star of the football team, you know, ripping his Achilles tendon in the championship game. It was the bread, the breadwinning father getting laid off, and then you know, <clears throat> drinking too much whiskey that night and getting home and beating his beating his wife, kind of thing. You know, it was it was the it was the end of innocence, right? See what I'm saying? Like everything, like a, a, a kind of shock filled the world, our world, the Western world, not the world, but our world. And it's something that, you know, our political system and our culture never genuinely recovered from. Because we'll never be back where we were before it happened. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if you take the abstract view, the top-down view, the 30,000-foot view, we'll never be the way we were before it happened. And we can never, ever change the way we are. Because it happened. So, just putting that out there. But let's carry on with this. I don't want to get too sidetracked because this, like I said, it's about 20 minutes, but I don't want to pause it too much and bore you because this guy's really good and I think you'll get a lot of out of, uh, a lot out of this. You'll enjoy it. We go directly to those websites because those websites <laughs> had the largest uh, numbers of people going to them. Uh, those websites had a reputation of credibility uh, and intellectual honesty. Now, we moved ahead, let's say, five years from that point. I know I said I don't want to pause too much, but when, 
when he says intellectual honesty, I think this is a point that can't be stressed too much. Um, intellectual honesty is when you're coming at a problem with the genuine, you know, the genuine humility that you're trying to get to the truth. You're trying to, you know, your your opinion, like you, your facts and your opinions, you, you're trying to get to the truth of the matter. It's a, you know, uh, intellectual honesty is that endeavor, right? It doesn't mean that you're always right. Do you see the difference? Now, you can be intellectually honest and be never right. It just means that you're, you know, you're bad at picking up certain facts or you're, miss, you're missing points or you're missing information, but you are, you are engaging in a genuine attempt to uncover truth. That's intellectual honesty. You know, intellectual dishonesty, you know, some people can be intellectually dishonest and always be right. You, do you see what I'm saying here? It's all about your intentional, your, your first motivation, the first step off the block, you know, the first branch that grows from the tree. That's intellectual honesty or not. So it doesn't mean that you're always right, you know, because I've had this argument with people before. I'll say, well, at least he's honest. And they'll go, oh, what do you mean? You got this wrong. You got this wrong. You got this wrong. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but he's honest. Like he's trying to, to get to the, to the point. He's, there, there's no intellectual dishonesty there. You know, he's not hiding things. He's not, you know, um, obfuscating truth. He's not manipulating. You. It's just genuine honesty. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean he's always right. At least he's honest, right? Starting in the last two years, but it is it is super accelerated accelerated in the last year. We had the whole media war. Uh, we all realized uh, during the well, we realized what we already knew. Everybody knew this anyway. It's just they took their masks off, you know, like like an Illuminati uh, <clears throat> ball, you know, the proverbial Illuminati ball, like Kubrick uh, depicted in Eyes Wide Shut. Um, the the elite wearing their masks and pretending to be one thing when they're really something else. So the media took off their masks, and we discovered what we all instinctually knew or we knew through research, and that is that the media, the mainstream media, is a totally owned, totally controlled organ of propaganda, mind control, and indoctrination. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And that's why... Uh, when we're talking about the mainstream media, you know, you couldn't get a bunch of, re- I can't call them reporters, let's call them like personalities, TV personalities and, and cable news networks, et cetera. You couldn't get most of these people to agree on all kinds of things at, at one of their cocktail parties or dinner parties. They would have to be arguing over everything. But all of a sudden, as Trump began to Thank you for the super. climb during the, 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 the election, uh, all of the, the mainstream media, including to a large degree, the so-called moderate conservative cable news network, they're all speaking with the same exact words. It's like they're a bunch of B actors all reading from the same scripts, the same words, the same topics, uh, the same sound bites, the same talking points. You can go from channel to channel, and you and, and it's all they're all reading from one script. Now, the the, the, the pseudo conservative cable news network will read from the script and pick up, let's say, more of a conservative. Uh, pseudo-conservative point of view. But the point is, what that did is expose to, to 
countless millions of American viewers that their media is totally controlled. Because how do you get all these media organizations and all these personalities to say day after day the exact same thing? And of course, the most dangerous area of propaganda is the fact that they what they choose to ignore is more powerful than actually what they choose to manipulate when they when they say they're they're covering the news. So it exposes <clears throat> that's so true. And people often argue about this, like in real and I'll I'll put it in real life terms. Like so uh, you know, the things that you choose, you know, if you say to somebody, well, it's the things that the media doesn't report that's that's most important rather than what they do report. And people will often look at you and roll their eyes and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I say, okay, just say I'm married to you and I take $50,000 out of our life savings uh, and bet it on the horses and lose. But just say on that afternoon, during that afternoon, um, one of the horses that I bet on, that I bet on wins and I bring home $1,000. I took out fifty thousand, but I bring home a thousand. And I say, "Honey, look! I went to the horse. I went to the track this afternoon. I've got a thousand bucks. Let's go out, get a dinner. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm not telling her about the forty thousand that I lost. And then all of a sudden, they go, "Oh, well, that'd be wrong." I'm like, "Yeah, fucking oath, that'd be wrong." So just just because you're you're reporting on the thousand dollars that the guy won at the track. The more important aspect is the $49,000 that the guy spent at the track, right? Once you put it in that kind of terms, all of a sudden people snap and they twig and they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The, the, the total uniformity, the, the total uh, marching in goose step, the, the total uh, synchronization of language and, and what they're covering exposes that they are, although they appear to be different brands, they're controlled by the same basic entities, whether it's three or four international globalist corporations control all of the mainstream media. And that's why they say exactly, basically the same thing. And the other thing we we found out was that they are owned by the globalists. And that's why no matter what channel you go to, you're going to hear talking points that come from the point of view of, let's say, the Council on Foreign Relations. See, this is a point, too, where um, a lot of people on the Democrat side don't get enough credit because a lot of people on the left that I've known personally over the years, they'll agree with this 100%. They will say that the corporate media is 100% completely owned by um, you know, negative corporatist interests that want to rape the population. Like, 100%. Don't get me wrong. You know, and if you if you doubt me, um, go back and listen to like early '90s hip hop. Like some of the underground, like black hip hop artists of the early '90s were rapping about the Illuminati and corporatism in the media and stuff. You know, it's not a, it's it's not a not a conspiracy, right? This is something that on the <clears throat> people on the left and the right can agree on is that the media is a controlled um, cancerous identity. Like a, a, a cancerous entity. There are people within it that, you know, try to do the right thing. But I mean, you know, of course, like we're not talking about individuals here. We're talking about the institution as it is. And 
as somebody you know who's been tracking the downfall of Western journalism for the better part of a decade, I can tell you like it's not getting any better anytime soon. The writing is getting worse. The language is getting more restrictive. Um, you know the the ability to you know um, question things is is drastically reduced. Uh, if you need any evidence of this, look at the state of investigative journalism right now. It, it, it barely exists. You know, nobody's doing investigative journalism anymore. Nobody's doing long-form journalism anymore. It's very rare that you'll get four or five pages on a certain topic unless it's about some Hollywood star and their battle with drugs and abortion. And in the end, everybody, you know, everybody has a happy day and here's my new movie that's coming out. That's that's about as far as it goes. So I think what we can agree on, <clears throat> those of us on the left or the right, is this this entity that has been part of our lives for, you know, genuinely at least a century, at least. Um, whether it's recent or whether it's been happening for a long time, <clears throat> And what whatever the cause of it is, whether it's, you know, the need for constant profit raking or the need for ideological subversion, I think that's where the diversion happens, you know. We agree that this entity is shit, but we disagree on what the cause is, but that's fine. That's fine. We can disagree on the cause. But once we agree on that the entity is shit, then that's something that we can build on, right? That's that's a that's a wall we can overcome together, and then once we cross that wall, then we can fight about you know how to fix it. Or pseudo conservative think tanks like the Heritage Foundation, or the um, National Review, which was founded by. Uh, in part by the CIA, and of course, most of your viewers know that William Buck Buckley, you know, everybody's conservative hero oh, when they were William kids Buckley. on television, um, with all his eloquence, was working for the Central Intelligence Agency. And um, uh, if you William follow uh, their talking points to this very day... So here you go. This is a conservative radio show. This is a conservative guy, and he's calling out William Buckley as a tool of the CIA. All of a sudden, the Democrats and the leftists in the audience are going, what the fuck? All of a sudden, they just got a semi-chub. Um, look at what they're saying. Notice the, the critiques they're making. And uh, I'll leave it up to your listeners to decide whether they're echoing the talking points of the CAA or not. So you have a completely Orwellian thought police media. And then, because of programs like yours and uh, other programs, their websites, et cetera, that are legitimate, authentic, conservative, alternative media. You guys, and I'm putting the Hagman and Hagman report at the top of the list, and others, you began to numerically generate such huge numbers that it became obvious that that you know, tens of millions of people were, were turning or tuning into and watching and visiting the websites of the, all the of the alternative media. Don't know if you guys have ever heard of Vox Day. Vox Day is considered like a you know preeminent uh, thinker in alt right circles, and you know I'm not alt right, but um, I listen to Vox Day. He's a very intelligent guy, and he genuinely understands with some clarity, especially in print media 
um, the way it's gone over the last, say, two decades. He was writing, you know, he was a syndicated journalist back in the 90s for, you know, a number of number of publications. So he knows his stuff. And if, you know, if you're interested in um, Buckley, uh, go back and listen to some of Vox Day's stuff or read some of Vox Day's stuff about Buckley and how he was elevated, you know, this is his opinion, he was elevated in the conservative movement to basically usurp it for somebody else's goals, essentially. If they wanted the truth. So the using a intelligence agency strategy of mind control, they created the PSYOPs word of, quote, conspiracy theory, which basically um, sends a message out to people. Uh, it plays on the psychological insecurities of the average American. Uh, going back to the 1920s, um, two um, experts in advertising, persuasion, and propaganda wrote, um, and I have this in my book, uh, Conquering the Matrix, they wrote that no matter how intelligent uh, an ordinary individual is and how... <clears throat> This is the shit right here. And in my opinion, this is 100% spot on. They wrote that no matter how intelligent uh, an ordinary individual is and how educated an ordinary individual is in America, that when it comes to their belief system or their ideology, no matter how independent they think they are and smart they think they are, they will always self-modify their belief system, they'll self-modify their politics, they'll self-modify their ideologies in order to be accepted by what they perceive to be the smart, sharp people. They want to, they desperately want to be accepted so by like the group, you know, like a bunch of teenagers time, right? that want to dress, have to dress a certain way, act a certain way to be part of the in-group. They, they have peer pressure. So... See, and, you know, this is the thing that um, I've presented to libertarians, an argument I've given to libertarians. So libertarians come from the foundation that they have to convince most people that their argument is the right argument. And to that I say, no, of course not. You only have to convince a certain amount of people who are really, you know, popular or influential or, you know, appealing or appetizing to the general public, and the rest of them will follow. The rest of them will pretend. They will go through the motions. You know, it's interesting to me how many people, you know, just personally in my experience, say that they're a lefty. You know, I'm a left, I'm a leftist. Yet they believe in, you know, traditional marriage. <laughs> they don't believe in the welfare state. You know, I'm speaking leftist in term, like in our modern context here. Obviously, we can go in history and, you know, find different definitions, but that's not the issue. But, you know, people, so often I find people who say that they're on the left and when I actually ask them about what they think about individual issues, it turns out they're actually a conservative who thinks they're a lefty. Because that's the prevailing culture of the time. These, these are the appropriate systems. These are the, these are the rivers of thought that we must flow down, right? And it happens time and time and time and time and time again. Here's the thing. Here's a, here's a red pill for you. The reason that the left is in control now culturally is because the right was so uh, suppressive when they were in control culturally. They were trying to squash down. 
and they squashed down so so much that they created like a cultural hemorrhoid and from that pus burst and that created you know the modern day hard left right it created a subculture. The subculture became popular. It was cool not to be part of the dominant culture. And these things always ebb and flow to various degrees. And if they don't ebb and flow, then you're in a dictatorship and nobody wants that. That's another red pill for you. If you're not willing to accept that um, you know, cultural dominance by either the right or the left is going to be manifested in one way or another, during most of our lifetimes, we will see both, you know, unless, you know, take take the average lifespan, like 75, right? You will see the left or the right in cultural dominance at one point or another. At one point or another. And if you don't, you're probably living in a dictatorship in a one-party state and none of us want that. I don't want to live in a one-party state. Do you? Do you, do you want to live in a dictatorship? I don't. You know, so it's right now we think we're facing whether we're whether we're on the right or the left. We think we're facing um, an enemy that's always going to be there in the current form that they are. But the reality is, like, because we are Westerners, because we believe in individual expression, even though you know some people now are trying to suppress free speech and suppress voices and suppress expression. That's already happened. We've already been there. We've already done that. But freedom prevails. Freedom will always prevail. To steal a line from Jeff Goldblum, life finds a way. So what these propaganda and advertising experts discovered was no matter how intelligent and educated you are, you will change your beliefs to be accepted, uh, to be part of the esteemed group, uh, and, and because you need desperately that psychological validation. So they developed an entire theory of persuasion and propaganda and mind control based on a number of premises, but that was a primary premise. So... What they did, and this starts back in the 1920s and the 1930s with people like Edward Bernays, the father of modern advertising. He's the guy who uh, uh, sold cigarettes to American women and women across the world because what he did is he subconsciously branded cigarette smoking with being physically attractive and sexually attractive and hip and stylish. And so he deliberately engineered for advertising campaigns to feature smart, romantic, sexually attractive, physically attractive, with it women. Uh, he bombarded uh, the newspapers and the magazines with pictures of that. And then he delivered... Obviously, anybody who watches this show on a regular basis knows by now, if you haven't read anything by Bernays, you absolutely have to. <laughs> this should be a prerequisite for listening to this podcast. Deliberately um, used movie stars and film actresses and television celebrities and glamorous social icons and females that other females looked up to, and he deliberately 
managed to have these uh, uh, star power females smoke cigarettes in films and everything. And so within a matter of a decade, you had, you know, countless millions of American women smoking cigarettes, even though, you know, it, it's deadly. It ages your face and gives you cancer, et cetera. But he understood the power of raising up people he understood the power of the psychological insecurity in just about every American who doesn't have a, an identity, who doesn't... Ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> and transplant American for Brit, Australian, Canadian, New Zealander, whatever. He understood the power in appealing to people who have no identity. And straight away when I was listening to this the other night, my, f- my first thought went to identity politics. What is the power of identity politics, ladies and gentlemen? It's not that you're an individual with your own individual thoughts and your own individual opinions. <clears throat> I'm an individual in my own. I am not my group identity. Like if somebody slags off like white guys, I don't really get offended. I don't really care. I, I get offended in the sense that it's diminishing individual thought, but I don't get offended on behalf of white people. Right? Do you see what I'm saying here? Now, Lucifer Sam, he's a friend. He's on the left. He he would agree with me here. I I think. You know, he doesn't. He's not a group identity guy. We are individual people with our own individual thoughts and our own individual, um, you know, breakdowns about the world and how it works and how we interact with each other. When you appeal to people who have no identity of their own, and that's why I went straight to identity politics when I was listening to this, and I thought, fuck, that's like the key that unlocks it all. That's why it works. That's why it works. Because when you challenge people who have no individual thought, individual, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not genuinely approaching things you know, in a you know, on a humble basis, right? They're not disassociating themselves from their group identity in order to discern facts about the world and discern information. Everything is viewed through the prism of their group identity. And when you challenge group identity, and this is why identity politics is so successful, when you challenge group identity, you're challenging them as a person which should never be the case. You know, if you if you challenge my opinions, I don't think that you're saying I'm a I'm an asshole. You know, I don't I don't think that you're saying that you I don't think that you're abusing me as a person. I don't think you're oppressing me. But of course the group identity people would say, of course you would say that because you're a white guy, right? <laughs> Straight away, like we hate group identity, you white man. But that's the way it rolls. And I would laugh and you know, blow a smoke ring and strut off down the road in my overcoat. Not thinking about them again for the rest of the night. But if you challenge group identity in today's modern political paradigm, then you are challenging people for who they are because who they are is the group. They are not a whole. They are not an individual. They are not a sentient being in the world who has the ability to transcend group identity to discern facts. 
they are, or at least they've been led to believe that they are only their group identity. And that's all they can ever be. And that's all that they can, that's the only way that they can see the world. And so when you challenge that very, you know, when you challenge that prism of thought, when you challenge that system, you're an enemy, right? Because you're challenging them as you're challenging their identity, which is the group identity. Their personal identity is the adopted group political identity. To a large degree. And I think that's what, you know, ends up manifesting in the in the outrage and the screaming and the, you know, speaking on behalf of all people of a race. Like I would you know, I'm I'm always weary of someone. It doesn't matter if they're on the left or the right, but somebody who opens up their um just say they're on, you know, Fox News or CNN or something, and they would say, you know, Don, as a black woman, I think this. Or they might be on Fox News and they would say, you know, Sean, as a white conservative, I would say this. And I'm, I'm, and I always think, like, regardless, I'm like, what does being a white woman have to do with it? What does being a black woman have to do with it? Like, I, I, I'm only interested in what you're saying. Are you correct or are you not? Are you offering insight or are you not? So if you preface your statement with, well, you know, as a conservative woman, my first thought is always, okay, what if you weren't a conservative woman? Would your statement be different? Because if you're trying to sell me truth, if you're trying to say that this is the correct thing, if this is the correct way to view the world, then why does being a conservative woman or a black man matter? You know, you know, Don, as a black man, I think the banks have a lot to answer for. You know, Sean, as a conservative woman, I'm not comfortable going onto university campuses. If you weren't a conservative woman, would you be comfortable saying this? If you weren't a black man, would you say the same thing? That's my problem. I don't care if you're a black man or a conservative woman or an Asian woman or an Asian man. Just say what you've got to say. And we'll decide from there. Because as a white Australian... <laughs> Lucifer Sam says, as a man with a giant member. <laughs> I don't really know what their true identity is. He understood the power of the exploitation of the identity in the subconscious. So he understood that by when you raise up movie stars and celebrities or people that people think are people of authority and power and attractiveness and glamour, whatever they say in terms of their political beliefs, however they dress, whatever their morals or immorality is, whatever they're living, acting and saying, the average American, and this goes across the world, is going to imitate and that's why, you know, people like you and me and, and most of the listeners of your program, when we turn and if we even bother to turn on something like the Academy Awards, we see through the stupidity. We, we recognize that the emperor or empress, uh, you know, all these hollow movie stars uh, and celebrities, many, by the way, the, the vast majority.
majority of people in Hollywood who are movie stars, male and female, they have not even graduated from high school. I mean, we're not talking about college or no college. They didn't even graduate from high school. So these people are, are uh, depending upon your opinion, good or, or actors. But in terms of people with an intellect and the ability to think and reason and use logic, I mean, basically, they're idiots. I mean, they're they're truly uneducated. A little bit over three weeks, okay? It's been a little bit over three weeks. Trump is now ordering, as in summoning, federal government workers to go back to work without getting paid. Now, I don't want to hear y'all about, oh, but Obama shut down the government for 17 days. Yeah, for health care. So your grandma could check her blood pressure and you in the gynecologist with no problems. Now, I know a lot of y'all don't care because y'all don't work for the government or y'all probably don't even have a job, but this serious, bro. This crazy. Like, our, our country is in a hellhole right now. Oh, for and we really need to take this serious. We, I feel like we need to take some action. I don't know what type of action because this is not what I do, but I'm scared. This is crazy. And I really feel bad for these people that got to go to work to not get paid. They call all the people that follow Trump the deplorables. But the reality is a lot of these people are ex-drug addicts. I mean, you know, they they are in perpetual crisis, and they have, you know, don't even have a high school education. Yet they're raised up and perceived to be stars. And so, the average American female who doesn't have an identity, uh, neither does the average American male, doesn't have an identity either. Desperately insecure, will anchor their souls, will anchor their personalities to whatever the beliefs and actions are of the movie stars. So if the movie stars are screaming how bad Trump is um, and, you know, we need to have abortion and, you know, we're in an environmental Armageddon or whatever the movie stars are saying, and all these millions of people will follow along, uh, denying Christianity, whatever it is. So this is a very, (laughs) very powerful (laughs) principle upon which... Propaganda, persuasion, changing people's minds, uh, embedding new belief system, uh, embedding new belief systems is all about. And it's so effective and so powerful because it deals with the subconscious, not the conscious, that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi propaganda experts, and he had some really sharp propaganda experts like Joseph Goebbels and others, uh, they imitated, and they studied carefully the father of American advertising, Edward Bernays, and they simply adopted his principles for the Nazi propaganda films and the way Hitler was platformed, etc. So I'm saying that to say that the, 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 the entire power of the mainstream media rests on this one psychological principle, and that is the audience of the mainstream media is has no real identity. They're desperately insecure. This is why in our time period, it wasn't like this when I grew up or when you grew up, Doug. I don't know if it was around when you grew up, Joe, but 
I'm sure, Doug, and many of your listeners, when we grew up, uh, brand names were not that big of a deal. I mean, you could go to high school and have, like, running shoes or we used to call them sneakers or whatever. And, yeah, there was a little thing about brand names. But it wasn't, you know, most of the clothing you bought, people were not brand name obsessive. And It's funny you said that because when I was listening to that, I was like, oh, so spot on. Because when I was a kid in high school, I deliberately didn't wear brand names. I just wore black shirts, you know, and, and shorts. Like if, um, you know, someone in the family or a Christmas present or something, you know, if someone bought me clothes for a present, you know, a birthday present or a Christmas present, I would refuse to wear it if it had a brand name on it. I did not want brand names. I just wanted plain clothes. And my first question was like, how much did you spend on this? And if they said more than like $5 or something, I would say, no, don't want it. Not interested. Like, I only want the cheapest possible clothes. Like, I don't care. There was a bunch of us like this. You know, and it wasn't trying to be cool. It was a rejection of what we saw as, like, you know, wankerism. Like, we saw these people walking around with, like, $100 pants and, you know, $200 shoes and stuff. And our opinion was, these people are losers. These these people are, like, they're... They're stretching for some identity in their clothing. Fuck that. Like, I, I don't need a piece of clothing to be who I am. I don't need a piece of clothing to make me who I am. You know, a, an expensive shirt doesn't make me a good guy. And so we went the exact opposite. Like, we had to, we had to you know, reject that at all costs. <laughs> you know what? These, these cool kids, like, they weren't as cool as we were. <laughs> We got on with everybody. We had a lot of fun back in those days. Nobody, no manufacturer, whether it was shirt, shirts, clothing, whatever it is, it was considered obnoxious and embarrassing. If you wore a T-shirt or jeans or running shoes or whatever in which the manufacturer put his name on it and logo, that was considered like what a loser would do. I mean, people did not, it was considered that you had cheap clothing if the brand name was on it, and nobody did that. But two things happened. The the uh, advertising industry became more sophisticated. It began to adopt the principles of Bernays and others in uh, advertising. And then insecurity and lack of identity began to seep into the American psyche. And so what we have in the last 30 years especially is this Desperate primal need. It's like a baby wailing in the womb, uh, or it's like a newborn baby that that doesn't have, you know, intellectual development, but primally knows because of the God-given DNA. The baby knows when it's out of its mother's womb, it cries its heart and soul out uh, to 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 get the breast of its mother to get milk. It knows to do that primarily in its DNA. So in the same way, we have people who have no identity. And when you have people with no identity, you have hollow people who are empty. And hollow people who are empty are in psychological pain. And people that are in psychological pain have a desperate need to kill the pain. So one way of doing it is to fill their emptiness with a counterfeit. And that counterfeit could be drugs or all kinds of things. But one counterfeit is brand names. You know, I got 
Nike shoes or I got this cell phone, this cell phone or that cell phone or this car or that car. It's all- I think that's so on the money. I think that's so on the money. <clears throat> because once upon a time, like to have the expensive stuff, like let's not let's not kid ourselves here. To have the expensive stuff was like a sign of your stas- uh, your status in society, right? So the kings would drink from golden goblets and eat, um, you know, foods that were harvested from all four corners of the earth, whilst the peasants drank moonshine and harvested potatoes, kind of thing, right? Like we know that. So your your food, your dress has has always been associated with status. That that is a deep seated thing, and this isn't just like a this isn't a modern thing. This is something that is intrinsic. You know, I mean, peacocks, the peacock with the biggest feathers is the one that gets laid the most. You know, the the lion with the biggest mane is the one who takes the 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 lioness. He's the dominant one, you know what I mean? So it's the one with the most appealing uh, outside presentation that determines, you know, it's like a signal of their social status. So what you know, marketing people and brand people do all the time, all the time, all the time, every product is try to say that their particular product is going to be a signal that you will project out into the universe of your social status. You know, if if you buy this product, if you wear these shoes, if you wear these pants, if you wear this shirt, if you buy this hat, if you drink this wine, if you eat this food, if you drive this car, if you have this phone, if you have that house, then you are signaling to the rest of society that you are better than them. You are above them. And of course, we all understand that that's not necessarily true. You know, some of the, pe- some of the, some of the most intelligent and most interesting people I've ever met clean toilets for a living. And wear, you know, wear the cheapest pair of shoes and the cheapest pair of pants and the cheapest shirt you could ever find. And they don't let their job or their clothing or their house or their car define them as a person. And and when you do, like, see what he's getting at here? And that's why I bring it back to identity politics. Identity politics is just the transposing of that psychology into politics. Hey, if you agree with this, if you agree with that, if you like that politician, if you like this policy, if you don't like that policy, if you like this stance, if you don't like that stance, if you agree with this politician, if you agree with this protest, if you do this ha- do this hashtag, you are signaling to the rest of the world that I am better than you. Same thing. You know, identity politics is like the the pair of Nikes that the loser kid gets at Christmas to show his friends. Identity politics is, you know, the fancy car that the middle-aged balding guy gets to, you know, get jerked off at a at, at a gas station somewhere. Right? You 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 adopt these policies. You adopt this identity because you have you don't have one of your own. You have not a policy or an identity of your own. 
And so when someone questions the system of identity politics, you take it personally. This is your route to popularity. This is your this is your means to become. This is this is how you became someone. This is how you feel welcomed. This is how you feel higher up in the world in hierarchy. And when people challenge that system, you you think you're going to go back to the gutter. Using that identity politics metaphor, if people challenge that system, you're no longer getting hand jobs at the gas station in your convertible. You know, you're back flipping burgers, driving your shitbox Chevy around that doesn't start once out of every four times. You have to jiggle it a little bit, right? Identity politics becomes who you are. You might think that you are, you know, you might think that you're an active member in your, you know, your identifying group in the political schema, but in reality, it's it's a vacuum waiting to be filled, and the schema becomes you. You don't become it, right? All about. Branding. So this, none of this happened by accident. This is all part of a long-term plan, carefully devised, you know, thousands of years ago in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. But it began to really take off in speed in the late or mid-1800s. And by the early 1900s, it was in full sway. And so we're right now in the middle of what George Orwell warned about, uh, Big Brother dictatorship, what Aldous Huxley called the scientific dictatorship, scientific dictatorship and what Brzezinski, the co-founder of the Trilateral Commission with Rockefeller, he called it the uh, technocratic elite or the technocratic dictatorship. And he actually, in 1976, advocated the use of psychotronic weapons on the American people, which are our electronic mind control weapons. He wrote about it in a book, and he advocated and predicted that mass surveillance in 1976 would be everywhere. So here we are in this Orwellian world, and I think the... the There's a tweet out there. I wish I could find it. It's from a little-known comedian that I'd never heard of before I read the tweet, and I thought, my God, that's one of the most breathtakingly accurate um, insightful things I've ever read, and, it, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but it was something along the lines of Orwell was almost right, except he didn't predict that people would buy the cameras themselves. <laughs> and if you think about it, you know you can you can see uh, ten thousand people lined up to get the latest iPhone so they can take selfies and post it to the internet. You know, you know what I mean. That's what he was getting at. Orwell was right about the Big Brother Surveillance Society, but he didn't predict that people would be begging to buy the cameras, you know, pay for the cameras themselves. Interesting, isn't it? But the biggest barrier that the average person faces to accepting the truth of, of what I just laid out, and I'm not the only one, you know, laying this out, but I think the, the biggest barrier that the average person has in accepting the, the truth that we live in a scientific dictatorship. It's not coming. We're already here. The biggest barrier that people have is that they have a 
Uh, they cannot believe, they cannot bring themselves to believe that a collection of powerful men, the globalist elite, could be so evil and use their enormous wealth and power to create this science fiction-like structure of, of mind control, a dictatorship uh, without tears. Um, People have a mental bias against that. It causes their head to spin. If you talk to them about it, they go into cognitive dissonance, disassociation, because it is it's diametrically opposed to everything they've been taught to believe since they've been little children and everything they've been programmed to believe in the school system and the media. And most importantly, they, too, are all susceptible they have a hollow identity and a desperate primal need to be accepted by the the group that they think is the intelligent, sharp, glamorous group. They have that desperate psychological need, so they're not going to dare reject the illusion, the the matrix. They're not going to reject the matrix. They're not going to reject the artificial reality uh, for for the truth that the world that we live in is a dictatorship ruled by scientific mind control in which Huxley said, in a truly effective scientific dictatorship, we can program the people, first of all, to be slaves and then to not have any idea that they're slaves. And then Huxley said, and, and we can program them to actually love their slavery and love their servitude. So people would rather be part of the in-group and dress like the in-group, whatever that is that the media is portraying. And that's the primary. It's that non-rational, uh, uh, pre-pubescent, adolescent uh, need to be accepted by the in-group that is really the gravitational pull that is anchoring most people to to fully embrace this artificial reality that we are now living in, which is a scientific dictatorship. And, you know, if I can interrupt. There you go. It's pretty good. Like I said, just absorb. Ladies and gentlemen, I hereby announce that next week I am only going to do audience submissions. So now I've got the Christmas episode the New Year episode, and this episode, I'm not going to bring any of my own stuff to the table. (laughs) Next week, I am only going to do Twitter submissions from start till finish, and I'm going to really piss off General Eaton here because I I was looking through, like, some of the past submissions that he gave me, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into this. I can't wait to do this one. And, like, it's been three hours. It It is hot as a bitch in here. I, I, I almost told a gay joke. I almost told a, a gay joke. How do you think the scientific elite got there with such influence? Well, passed down to a, to a degree, born into these circles. And I know what you're getting at, Sam. I know. The elite schools, the elite circles, passed down. We probably agree. Ideology is often the weapon that they use to wield against the people in order to achieve their outcomes. 
to a degree. But I'm afraid, like I said, I, I, I just I can't go anymore in here. I'm sweating it out like a bitch. <laughs> so next week, nothing but audience submissions. MGR asks, Boogie, do you think it's possible to have full transparency coincide with anonymity? Good question. Well, what's... See, do we want full transparency? See, I, I think if you think about that question, do you want full transparency? Like, what is full transparency? Is full transparency um, everybody knowing everything about everyone? I don't think we necessarily want that, do we? You know, anonymity is a right to privacy, more or less. It is a sauna studio. It's very hot in here. So, next week, I dedicate the listener show, the people show, nothing but listener submissions from the past three weeks. (laughs) Hopefully, it'll be a little bit cooler. Salvatore, thank you for the super heart. Let's start with respect to governance. Okay. Tabby Cat, thank you for joining us. Clay, Clay Gatlin, Clay Gatlin, Crystal, Kimberly Boyd, General Eaton, Kimmy Jong Un, J Dub, happy birthday, J Dub. I will find some ice. I'll put it in a cocktail. That's what I'm about to do when I finish this. Have a nice cocktail and a cigarette. I only drink about, drink, I only smoke about three or four cigarettes a day these days, so I'm looking forward to my next one. Rass Dustin. Lucy Sam, thanks for joining us. Little Light Shiner, good to see you. Butterfly Wings, Denise, Stefan Sears, Jules, Poppy Lane, Jennifer Griggs, anybody else I might have forgotten. Monica. If you want to keep up with the show, follow me at Boogie Bumper. Go over to iTunes or Podbean. Look for the Daily Boogie Podcast. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.